Welcome. Bonjour. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. You're listening to the Dirty Feet podcast on the No More Radio Network. Nous sommes vos animateurs et animatrices. We are your hosts, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Listen in. Écoutez. We're going to move you. This is a special fringe edition of the podcast. One of several episodes recorded while touring the circuit of the Canadian Association of Fringe Festivals during the summer of 2015. Fringe festivals showcase non-curated theatre, dance, and other forms of art. You can learn more at fringefestivals.com. Welcome to the latest episode of Dirty Feet. So this week, we're actually starting our part one of two parts uh, about the Montreal Fringe Festival for 2015. Uh, of course, the Fringe Festival is all over the place. It's in many different venues. Uh, we're, we've tried to narrow it down to uh, works that are in productions that are mostly about movement or that do have a strong movement uh, aspect to it. Of course, it's not just dance. Uh, there is dance, there are dance artists, but there are a lot of people who bring in dance in a different way, uh, physical theater and physical comedy, and a bit of mime too, and clowning. So please stay with us, we'll be going through them. We have about 10 minutes uh, per artist that we're welcoming, so we're really going at, at a rapid fire pace, uh, but they have a lot, of, a lot to see in that short time, so it's really interesting. So please stay with us. Also, just to let you know, we're recording from Mainline Theater at a time when people are moving stuff around so there will be a bit of noise uh, it's the start of the festival it's a bit hectic it's a bit crazy but in the in that very fun kind of fringe way so we'll start with our first artist now Donc, avec nous, pour commencer l'épisode du French aujourd'hui, on a Delphine Véronneau, qui est une chorégraphe euh, qui vient de l'UCAM, qui a gradué de l'UCAM en 2011 et qui va présenter La Playlist. C'est une nouvelle création qui a euh, un peu, qui a une chorégraphie style théâtre cabaret, mixant danse, musique, euh, jeu d'acteur. Euh, elle va nous en parler un peu plus. Euh, donc, ça, ça va être présenté. Euh, les 14 juin, 17 juin, 18 juin, 19 juin et 21 juin. Ça va être au théâtre d'aujourd'hui. Euh, ça, vous pouvez voir l'horaire complet en ligne sur le site du Fringe. Donc, euh, bonjour Delphine, ça va bien aujourd'hui? Bonjour, ça va bien, merci. Donc, euh, parle-nous un peu de toi. C'est pas la première fois, en fait, que tu présentes euh, au Fringe. Non. OK, bonjour. Donc, euh, oui, c'est ça. Non, c'est pas ma première fois au Fringe. Je suis venue en 2012. J'ai présenté avec Tuc et Capuche aussi une pièce. Ça, c'était une pièce avec quatre personnes, quatre danseurs. Puis cette année, je reviens avec une pièce avant les huit dans la production. Donc, c'est ça, il y a des danseurs, des comédiens et des musiciens. Toute la musique est live. Puis entre les deux, en 2012 et maintenant, j'ai collaboré à chaque année sur des projets du Fringe, mais qui n'étaient pas mes projets, avec des gens de théâtre puis tout ça. 
Donc, euh, c'est ça. Puis, euh, la pièce qu'on présente, là, cette année, c'est ça. C'est une pièce un peu sous forme de cabaret. Euh, c'est des courts numéros, des numéros qui durent entre une et quatre minutes. Puis, euh, c'est ça. C'est une pièce qui, qui peut passer de très joyeux à, à très absurde, à pensif, à triste. Euh, on passe d'une bulle à l'autre comme ça. Puis on espère que le, le spectateur embarque avec nous parce qu'on a vraiment du fun. J'ai une gang d'artistes incroyables avec moi, vraiment généreux. C'est comme la, la création se fait, c'est fou. Ils sont, ils sont game, ils ont envie d'essayer, euh, ils ont envie de tester, euh, ils ont envie d'oser. Euh. Donc ça, on, on a bâti la pièce comme ça puis on est vraiment excités de le présenter. Plus comme, comme ce que tu disais euh, au niveau de l'émotion qui est un peu euh, « all over the place », c'est vraiment ce concept-là de playlist, en fait, qui est présent dans la structure même du show. Fait que tu as vraiment ces morceaux-là, tu, tu les appelais bulles, euh, qui vont vraiment tirailler le spectateur d'un bord et de l'autre. Oui. Euh, pourquoi, en fait, c'est important pour toi de faire un spectacle sous cette forme-là? Oui. Parce que c'est assez inusité pour la danse, surtout. Mm -hmm. C'est ça, c'est inusité pour la danse, inusité pour la danse, mais c'est très euh, normal en musique. Donc, c'est vraiment comme un show euh, de musique. Tu sais, quand on va voir un spectacle, ben on passe d'une pièce à l'autre. Chaque pièce a sa propre vie. Chaque pièce a été créée tout seul. Tu sais, l'écriture des paroles, l'écriture de la musique, c'est un monde en soi. Puis on passe d'une pièce à l'autre. C'est le même concept. Euh, en danse, c est, c est, on le voit moins. Mais je pense que le spectateur, pour lui, ça va être quand même normal, vu que les gens voient beaucoup de spectacles de musique. T'sais, je pense pas qu'ils vont être traumatisés. Là. <rire> je pense qu'ils vont embarquer. En tout cas, je l'espère qu'ils vont embarquer. Puis, euh, puis c'est la même chose. J'avais envie de me plonger dans des mondes vraiment différents pour chaque bulle. Puis c'est ça, soutenu par la musique, soutenu euh, par les comédiens, parce qu'il y a des textes. Euh, des, fois, on, des fois, on a déformé des chansons aussi pour euh, insérer des textes à l'intérieur des chansons. Euh, on... On, on s'est permis d'aller euh, <rire> là où la bulle euh, nous portait. <rire> Et au niveau, de, euh, au niveau du mouvement, au niveau des chorégraphies en tant que telles, parce que sûr, on a un podcast de danse, on s'intéresse beaucoup à ça. Euh, Est-ce que tu est es allé chercher vraiment différentes fiscalités? Est-ce que tu as une signature chorégraphique qui revient? Comment tu as créé en fait ces capsules ou ces bulles-là chorégraphiques? Oui. Euh... J'ai une, une certaine signature chorégraphique euh, qu'on peut voir à travers euh, plusieurs bulles qui vont revenir, qui peut peut-être donner un point, euh, point d'ancrage aussi. Euh, mais sinon, euh, dans les... on a quand même euh, beaucoup exploré les différentes, euh, je voudrais dire textures, les différentes euh, façons là, quand même. Tu sais, moi, j'ai une, une écriture spontanée qui est assez rapide et très euh, bassin par en avant et comme... C'est ça, comme un peu clownesque, là, si on veut. Mais on, a aussi, on est aussi allé dans l'inverse, dans quelque chose de beaucoup plus doux. J'ai un duo, par, par exemple, là, qui, qui me vient en tête, qui est très, très doux, qui est très, très dans les mains, qui est très, très fluide, qui est comme un petit peu, justement, qu'est-ce que la musique serait si elle était autour de nous? Comment on pourrait l'attraper, la rejeter, l'embrasser? La... Fait que j'ai ça... <coughs> Euh, sinon, il euh, y a sûr qu'il y a un travail particulier à cause que j'ai des acteurs. Fait que j'ai des acteurs qui font de, du travail physique. Fait que là, c'est pas, pas le même travail. Là. Pas, il, faut, euh, il faut travailler avec eux, qu'est-ce qu'ils sont, comment ils peuvent bouger, comment ils sont à l'aise de bouger. Il faut aussi euh, leur donner du défi, et ce qu'ils ont très bien relevé d'ailleurs, mais euh, c'est pas de tout repos, là, bouger. Fait que ça, ça amène aussi une gestuelle particulière. Tu sais, quand il y a et danseurs et acteurs qui sont en mouvement. Euh, c'est un autre travail. C'est un... 
la même chose d'ailleurs pour les danseurs euh, quand ils doivent aller peut-être plus dans l'émotivité ou euh, ils apprennent des acteurs là. <rire> il y a comme un échange le danseur qui fait son texte c'est tout le temps intéressant à <rire> voir euh... et en fait je vais... ça, ça va avoir l'air déjà comme question mais pourquoi tu es capuche <rire> tu sais qui a fait genre, oh, mon Dieu. Ça, c'est euh, ben, ça, quand j'ai gradué de Lucam, on était trois. Euh, J'avais deux interprètes qui voulaient danser ensemble, puis ils m'ont demandé euh, pour euh, chorégraphier. C'est comme ça que c'est parti, tu qui capuche. Puis euh, on cherchait un nom, puis dans ce temps-là, c'était le nom de la pièce, en fait. Puis euh, c'est tellement, tellement une anecdotique, là, mais c'est parce que j'avais il <rire> y avait des caractères. Les, les danseurs, les artistes ont, ont des caractères très forts, hein, souvent. Puis il y en a que ça se manifeste de toutes sortes de façons. Puis eux autres, il euh, y en avait une qui boudait plus souvent. Puis quand elle boudait, <rire> elle était tannée, elle se mettait, elle mettait son, son capuchon genre, sur sa tête. Puis là, je savais, tu sais, je le relevais pas, mais je savais qu'elle était comme boudée. C'est un grand mot, là, mais tu sais, comme euh, réfractaire, qu'est-ce qui se passait. <rire> Puis euh, l'autre, elle avait tout le temps une tuque sur sa tête. Fait que là, c'est comme arrivé de même. Genre, ah, tu qui capuche. C'était comme cute comme nom. Puis <rire> finalement, c'est resté. Et au niveau de la pièce, euh, en fait, tu as, as mentionné justement le, comment dire, l'effervescence des, des différentes influences. C'est vraiment un peu partout. Tu vas chercher dans le théâtre, tu vas chercher dans la danse. Euh, à quel point est-ce que c'était collaboratif comme création? Est-ce que, surtout pour les textes en fait, est-ce que les textes, c'est toi qui les as écrits? Est-ce que ça a été écrit conjointement en workshop? Comment vous avez arrangé ça? Oui, euh, c'est très collaboratif. En fait, j'ai un auteur qui m'a envoyé des textes qui s'appelle Cassandre Emmanuel. Euh, c'est quelqu'un avec qui j'ai déjà travaillé justement, qui est présenté au Fringe et qui présente cette année aussi au Fringe. Euh, donc, elle, elle m'a envoyé des textes qu'on a travaillés, mais aussi en studio avec les acteurs. On a fait beaucoup d'improvisation. Fait qu'il y a des deux. Il y a des textes écrits que les, que les acteurs interprètent. Puis, euh, il y a des moments de texte que c'est de l'improvisation. Même encore maintenant, on a des balises. C'est ça à peu près qui va dire, mais c'est pas écrit. C'est très... C'est ça. C'est de l'improvisation dirigée, mettons. <rire> Puis, euh, ouais, ça, c'est très, très... Avoir plus de temps, là, je, je, c'est ça, je ferai encore plus d'improvisation euh, avec acteurs et danseurs. C'est super intéressant faire une improvisation avec, mettons, un thème. Puis, euh, l'acteur part plus en parole et, et en mouvement, mais on s'entend que ça force la parole. Puis, le danseur part en mouvement les deux, ça s'accote, ça c'est de toute beauté. Là. Mais tu sais, ça prend énormément d'heures pour, euh, après ça, gérer ça. Là. <rire> Juste établir cette connexion-là, en fait, pour que les deux soient, soient confortables dans leur propre domaine à partager avec l'autre, c'est... Euh, oui. Ça prend du temps, ça ne s'établit pas comme ça en général. Exactement. Mais c'était d'ailleurs aussi, un, vu que c'était la première fois qu'on travaillait ensemble, tous ces huit artistes-là, ça prend un moment, pour moi, ce que j'appelle ça, établir un langage commun. Tu sais, ça veut dire que ben, quand je te dis brun, est-ce que tu penses à brun clair ou tu penses à brun foncé? <rire> c'est niaiseux, mais bon, on ne parle pas de couleur. Là. Mais même si je te dis ah, « je veux quelque chose de direct ou de, 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 de coulant », mais tu sais, il y a tellement de nuances, il y a tellement... Est-ce est qu'on parle le même langage? Là? Ça prend du temps, on établit ça, puis après ça, on part. T'sais. Le travail multidisciplinaire, ça fait souvent un peu tour de Babel euh, comme effet où tout le monde est genre en train de parler haut et fort avec leur propre langage, sauf que comment mettre en sorte que ça fasse un tout qui soit compréhensible, ça peut être un petit peu... Euh, ouais. Mais euh, ben là, c'est dans le travail. Euh, J'écoute beaucoup qu ce qu'ils ont à dire, mais en même temps, je m'en vais vraiment en quelque part. Fait que oui, euh, avec des musiciens, ça joue de la musique pendant que les acteurs sont tout le temps hyper émotifs, puis les danseurs sont là en, dans leur bulle en train de danser. Fait que c'est sûr qu'il y a ça. 
Mais euh, c'est ça, éventuellement, mais c'est de... Comment dire? Je leur donne des actions le plus précis possible à faire. Puis après ça, moi, j'essaie qu'avec ces actions-là, avec ces choses-là, l'émotion que j'ai envie qu'ils ressortent soit là. Mais je leur donne... Je vais rarement par le contraire. Je vais, je vais rarement par les motifs. En improvisation, je vais aller par les motifs pour avoir de la gestuelle, mais après ça, quand on place les pièces, ça va être plus le contraire. Je vais donner des actions précises à tout le monde, puis jusqu'à temps que j'ai qu'est-ce que je veux euh, comme, comme émotion qui ressort. Puis au niveau de, du concept, justement, puisque c'est la playlist, tu dois avoir euh, vraiment une variété, un arc-en-ciel d'émotions qui, euh, qui ressortent et d'où aller puiser en même temps. Oui, c'est oui. Un arc-en-ciel est un bon mot. Puis je pense en plus que j'aurais tellement voulu en faire plus. Mais le show il dure 45 minutes, puis euh, un peu moins, là, parce que vu que c'est de la musique live, si ça joue, on, on veut rentrer dans notre 45 minutes. Mais c'est sûr que ça passe euh, d'une bulle à l'autre. C'est très différent. Il y a des bulles qui se lient. Là. Il y en a certaines qui se ressemblent plus. Puis euh, c'est ça. Après avoir eu quelques années d'expérience à l'intérieur du Fringe, comme collaborateur et aussi en tant que, que personne contact pour, pour une compagnie telle compte, euh, c'était quoi le plus grand défi par rapport à ça cette année, même avec cette expérience-là? Par rapport au Fringe, par rapport à ma pièce? Euh, par rapport à la production telle compte, parce qu'en tant que chorégraphe, tu portes quand même plusieurs chapeaux, euh, en plus de... de... J'ai comme tout le temps le sentiment qu'on est... Comme que le fringe, pour moi, c'est plus un support qu'un défi. Là. Le défi, c'est sûr que c'est d'essayer de, de plonger dans le plus de choses possibles, comme euh, de faire la publicité, de faire euh, l'affiche, de faire ça. Ça, c'est les, les chapeaux qui sont, qui sont euh, je ne sais pas dire difficiles, mais ce n'est pas ma branche. Moi, j'aime la création. Là. Le, ce qu'il y a à côté, c'est je le fais parce qu'il faut. Mais le, le fringe, en tant qu'organisation, j'ai l'impression que tu peux faire n'importe quoi puis il y a ce support-là. Si tu le prends, il est là. Mm -hmm. Si tu le prends pas, euh, des fois, a, tu peux moins t'impliquer ou je sais pas, il y a d'autres choses dans ta vie. Mais euh, quand, quand tu plonges, c'est vraiment, vraiment incroyable. <rire> c'est vraiment, genre, tu un filet, là. C'est comme, c'est fou. Fait que le, moi, je sais pas, cette année, je suis venue, je suis venue aux ateliers, j'ai trouvé que chaque moment que j'ai rencontré les gens du Fringe, tout ça m'a ça toujours amené. puis je me sentais pas comme tout seul dans mon monde, dans Cartierville, là, <rire> à faire des <rire> mes répétitions. Tu sais, les répétitions, c'est une chose, mais tout autour, là, c'est ça. Je pense que, même, je pense que j'ai plus plongé dedans qu'en 2012, quand j'étais venue, où j'avais moins de temps, ou je sais pas trop. Fait que, ouais. Donc, euh, juste pour rappeler à tout le monde, on avait Delphine Vérono qui venait nous parler de la playlist. Ça va être présenté au théâtre d'aujourd'hui, le 14, 17, 18, 19 et 21 juin. Euh, donc, ça s'en vient très, très vite. Si vous voulez voir l'horaire complet, ça peut être vu sur le site du Fringe ou sur le site tuc-et-capuche.com pour les informations sur la compagnie. Delphine, merci beaucoup d'être venue avec nous aujourd'hui. Merci. Donc, avec nous maintenant, on reçoit Chloé Ouellet-Payeur, qui est, bon, là, je ne sais pas si je devrais dire qui vient de l'UCAM ou qui vient de l'ADMI, parce que tu as fait les deux écoles, ouais. euh, qui vient nous parler, en fait, d'un spectacle qui s'appelle Essai numéro 2, qui est créé, euh, qui est co-créé, co-interprété avec Marie-Philippe Santerre, qui est une de tes collègues à l'UCAM, je ne ouais. me trompe pas. Euh, donc, euh, la compagnie, votre compagnie, en fait, c'est Les Débrouillards 2. Il y a un petit jeu de mots là que je vous laisse euh, le plaisir de découvrir en regardant le programme du Fringe. Euh, Puis ça, ça va être présenté le 14, 16, 17, 17, 19 et 21 juin. Pour les dates, vous pouvez aller voir le, le, 
le site du Fringe ou l'horaire en ligne, bien sûr. Euh, donc, Chloé, bonjour, ça vient? Oui, toi. Oui, merci. Donc, parlons un petit peu de ce, de ce spectacle-là, essai numéro 2. C'était quoi, essai numéro 1? L'essai numéro 1, euh, ça s'appelait « Les débrouillardes <rire> ». On l'a présenté au département de danse de l'UCAM à l'automne dernier. Puis, euh, c'est ça. En fait, on a choisi d'utiliser ça comme, comme nom de compagnie par la suite parce que ça, ça reflète bien ce qu'on fait. Euh, en fait, c'est un spectacle pour lequel on dépense aucun argent et qu'on traite de la précarité financière dans le domaine des arts. Et euh, c'est ça, le numéro 2, c'est comme un remix de l'essai numéro 1, les débrouillards qu'on a fait. Puis on l'a un peu allongé, on a changé des trucs. Au début, on parlait, mais là, on trouvait que ça brisait le rythme, qu'on explique nos trucs tout le temps. Donc là, on a des acteurs bénévoles cette fois-ci qui nous prêtent leur voix puis qui vont faire les explications à notre place pendant tout le spectacle. Comme ça, on n'a pas besoin de s'occuper de ça. On peut juste agir. Pourquoi faire un spectacle de danse, de mouvement, pour un sujet aussi euh, chargé que, que l'argent en danse? Mm -hmm. Bonne question. Mais parce que ça nous touche tout le temps. Euh, dans tous les aspects, c'est fou comment en danse, on est euh, les moins payés. Oui, <rire> tous les artistes sont pauvres, mais en danse, c'est comme pire encore. Puis pourtant, tout coûte tellement cher. L'entraînement, les cours, c'est super cher. Puis euh, on sait qu'il faut être très bon pour continuer de danser. Fait qu'on n'a pas le choix de s'entraîner vraiment beaucoup, mais en même temps, on n'a pas de revenus. Fait que ça nous touche tout le temps. Donc, euh, on était fâchés, puis ça nous a motivés. Mais on a décidé de ne pas faire un spectacle fâché non plus, puis de plus jouer avec ça. C'est séparé en petits tableaux. C'est comme des courtes études sur « on n'a pas d'argent, donc on a fait ça ». Puis là, on a six tableaux qui vont euh, de cette manière-là. Donc, en fait, le, le côté, euh, côté sans argent est plus un peu un enrobage à, à, à différentes pièces de danse. Oui. Ce pas tellement le sujet principal. Vous allez créer une pièce avec ça comme contrainte sans nécessairement juste parler de ce sujet-là. On je en parle bien? aussi. Vous en parlez aussi? Oui, dedans. OK. Ouais. Est-ce que vous parlez d'autre chose aussi que de ce sujet-là? Hmm. Euh, oui. On parle beaucoup de, de, de ben beaucoup. On parle de euh, la polyvalence de l'interprète, des attentes qu'on a par rapport à l'interprète euh, actuel. Donc, euh, on est super, super polyvalente dans notre show. On fait la job de tout le monde, mais on est juste deux. Puis, ça donne des trucs assez le fun pour ça. On gère notre éclairage, notre musique sur scène. Donc, est-ce que l'éclairage, la musique va changer dépendamment du spectacle? Est-ce que vous allez un peu improvisé avec ces aspects-là ou est-ce que vous avez seté la façon que ça va être fait? On a seté, mais on a une bonne marge de manœuvre quand même pour euh, changer des trucs quand on veut. Avec un format comme le Fringe, le, le technicien ou la technicienne est inclus dans la location de salle ou dans, dans la participation au Fringe, mm -hmm. en fait. Est-ce que vous allez faire utilisation de votre technicienne ou technicien malgré tout? Ou? On a choisi que non. C'est ça. On va tout gérer par nous-mêmes. On n'a pas besoin de tech. On est trop euh, débrouillarde. C'est okay. ça l'idée un peu. Um, et au niveau des, euh, des pièces de danse, bon, je sais que et toi et euh, Marie-Philippe, vous avez euh, un intérêt pour la danse urbaine. C'est mm -hmm. prononcé, je ne me trompe pas. Est-ce que c'est très présent dans ce que vous allez présenter ou est-ce que vous allez plus faire le, le contemporain? Là, on ne me voit pas gesticuler, ouais, mais ouais, je gesticule beaucoup. Vu, moi, c'est... Oh. Mais... Euh, 
on a un tableau de transformation de style qui est assez intéressant. Puis d'ailleurs, il faut que je parle à Marie-Philippe. Peut-être qu'on va comme présenter un extrait euh, au euh, l'après Fringe. Puis c'est ça, on a découvert la house l'an passé. Ça fait pas très longtemps. Puis euh, on tripe vraiment beaucoup. Donc, euh, on a trouvé une manière assez intéressante d'inclure ça dans notre spectacle. Au niveau de... Bon, on a mentionné un peu plus tôt que toi, tu as fait l'UCAM, maintenant tu fais l'ADMI. Mm -hmm. euh, et cette année, en fait, il y, y a quelque chose qui se rapporte un peu à ce projet-là que vous faites, euh, que tu avais un peu... Euh, ben, tu avais participé, je ne sais pas si tu avais géré ça ou si c'était ton idée à la base, mais la création de, de chandails... Euh, qui, qui avait des logos comme euh, « Préservons l'art » ou des trucs comme ça, je mm -hmm. me souviens bien, pour aider à financer votre voyage à New York, un voyage de formation, si je ne me trompe pas. Oui, on est parti euh, tous les étudiants de deuxième, troisième année. Non, pas troisième année, c'est vrai, finalement, ils sont à Paris. Mais les deuxième années, on est allé à New York pendant une semaine euh, prendre des cours. On était pas mal libres, mais on avait certaines activités prévues ensemble en groupe. Puis euh, c'est ça, les t-shirts, euh, c'était pas juste des t-shirts, en fait, c'était toutes sortes de vêtements, puis euh, ça a vraiment bien, bien marché, c'était personnalisé, on avait des euh, « je soutiens l'art weird euh, »,« j'aime la danse »,« j'aime les danseurs euh, »,« I love José Limon », des trucs comme ça. <rire> ça, je regrette encore de ne pas l'avoir acheté, celui de Limon, même si je suis très pas talent sur la technique, là, mais bon. C'est drôle. Euh. C est, c est, ou Martha Graham, tu sais, avec oui. des, des mains qui copent. Oui, Anne bon. Lebeau nous en a acheté un, euh, ah Martha ouais. Graham. <rire> euh, ça, ce, cette, euh, ce, ce genre d'initiative-là, est-ce que tu sens que de plus en plus, ça va être nécessaire pour, pour les, les danseurs, euh, les chorégraphes, de devenir débrouillards d'une certaine façon et de trouver d'autres sources de financement? Mm -hmm. ben, je pense qu'on l'est déjà. Je ne je pourrais pas dire si ça va le devenir de plus en plus nécessaire. J'espère que non. J'espère que ça pourra être un choix, euh, puis pas juste une nécessité, puis que tout devienne avec du duct tape et des, des trucs, des agrafes partout sur nos flyers. Mais c'est quand même un trip assez le fun. C'est le fun d'aller jusqu'au bout d'une idée comme ça. Au niveau du... Euh, si, si je regarde euh, votre... Euh votre petit flyer, excusez-moi l'anglicisme, euh, tu as beaucoup de remerciements. En fait, oui. vous avez beaucoup de remerciements. Euh, donc, c'est un spectacle que vous avez fait gratuit, mais il y a beaucoup de gens qui vous ont aidé à travers ça. Ouais. Est-ce que tu pourrais nous parler un peu de comment ces gens-là vous ont aidé? Ces remerciements-là sont pourquoi exactement? Oui. Euh, Dazo, ça, c'est notre professeur de house, notre préféré. Sinon, il y a tous les gens qui nous ont prêté des accessoires pour notre séno. Euh, parce que c'est ça, comme on va utiliser des lampes, des lampes frontales pour euh, être capable de gérer notre éclairage en direct. Donc ça, on n'avait pas ça. Par exemple, Kimberly nous en prête une, d'autres gens comme ça. Sinon, on a nos yeux extérieurs parce que c'est difficile. Euh, on danse dedans, donc des fois, on ne voit plus rien de notre pièce. Donc c'était super utile euh, d'avoir euh, Gélimar, Marie-Reine, euh, puis d'autres gens comme yeux extérieurs en répète. Qui d'autre? Hélène Simard, elle a été notre conseillère artistique euh, quand on l'a présenté à l'automne dernier. Euh, c'est ça, c'est des yeux extérieurs ou des gens qui nous ont prêté des trucs. Donc, vraiment, la collaboration en danse, la ouais. collectivité qui se... Oui, puis on trouvait ça important de les remercier parce qu'on ben, ne peut pas les payer. <rire> c'est le genre de truc que tu dois t'habituer à dire souvent en danse, hein, ça, malheureusement. C'est ça, ouais. euh, 
Et au niveau des, euh, du, du mouvement, en fait, parce que tu nous as parlé un peu de versatilité, ouais. mais c'est sûr, on a un podcast de danse, donc on aime avoir une petite idée, en fait, de d'où vient le mouvement, la genèse de, de, de l'aspect plus mouvement dans une pièce. Qu'est-ce qui, en fait, qu'est-ce qui va vous motiver euh, ou qu'est-ce qui va vous vous amenez à créer une certaine phrase, le, le genre d'inspiration que vous avez, le genre... Je formule très, très mal ma question en ce moment. Oui, je pense que je comprends quand je même. Comprends. Ouais. Euh, ben, dans chacun des six tableaux, c'est une motivation qui est différente. Pour la transformation de style, par exemple, c'était vraiment... On est parti d'un style, on a pris à quoi ressemblent les mouvements dans ce style-là, puis on les a transformés pour que ça ressemble à des mouvements dans un autre style de danse. Euh, d'autres fois, c'était la musique qui était notre motivation. D'autres fois, c'est le fait qu'on n'a pas de musique qui était notre motivation. Euh, on a un autre tableau où c'est... Hmm. Je Comment pas le dire. dévoiler? Oui, c'est ça. Qu'est-ce que je dis? Qu'est-ce que je dis pas? Hmm. Euh, c'est ça aussi. Des fois, c'était la, la base de notre première pièce qui a été notre motivation. Par la suite, ça nous a fait développer d'autres trucs pour la suite. Nos acteurs, Maxime Lepage et Audrey Lachapelle, ça nous a beaucoup euh, motivés aussi. Ces deux euh, étudiants de l'École nationale de théâtre, euh, on est très contents de les avoir. Puis c'est ça, c'est, les motivations sont différentes pour chaque tableau. Fait que c'est difficile à préciser euh, comme ça. Donc en gros, aller voir le spectacle. Ben c'est oui, ça. C'est, c'est super c'est varié, juste notre show, il y, y a tout dedans. <rire> Donc, euh, avec nous, pour rappeler à tout le monde, on a Chloé Wallet-Payer qui venait nous parler de Essai numéro 2, qui va être présenté au Théâtre d'aujourd'hui les 14 juin, 16 juin, 17 juin à deux reprises, 19 juin et 21 juin. Allez voir le site du Fringe de Montréal pour voir l'horaire complet. Donc, euh, Chloé, merci beaucoup d'être venue avec nous aujourd'hui. Bienvenue. Donc, on continue notre déferlement d'artistes. Avec nous, on reçoit Stéphanie Juteau, euh, qui présente avec la compagnie Création d'Annika et Stéphanie, euh, qui va présenter la pièce Utopie. Donc, qui est une, une pièce, en fait, qui est un mix de danse, d'humour, de pantomime. Et ça, ça va être présenté les 13, 14, 16, 19, 20, 21 juin. Euh, et vous allez être au mai, à la salle du mai, euh, sur Jeanne-Mance, pour les gens qui ne connaissent pas. Euh, donc, euh, bonjour Stéphanie Juteau, comment ça va aujourd'hui? Ça va bien, et toi ça va? Ça va très bien. Bon, un full disclosure pour tout le monde, Stéphanie et moi, on a fait l'école ensemble. Donc, euh, c'est sûr qu'on se, on se connaît bien, donc quand on se parle, euh, ça, ça va peut-être euh, ressortir un petit peu. Donc Stéphanie, parle-nous un petit peu de cette pièce-là. C'est une création que tu fais avec Danica, qui est une autre de nos collègues de classe, en fait. Oui. Euh, puis vous aviez vraiment travaillé ensemble avant, en, ben, à, pendant le, le programme, en fait, vous aviez rarement travaillé, travaillé ensemble, ensemble, autre en... que dans des travaux scolaires normaux. Euh, en fait. Non, c'est ça, au courant du programme, c'est sûr que euh, j'avais été répétitrice un peu pour Danica, j'ai été son interprète aussi pour la dernière pièce en dernière année, où est-ce que Danica commençait à aimer, euh, bien, elle a toujours aimé, mais où est-ce qu'elle commençait à comprendre qu'elle aimait les caractères, euh, les personnages qui étaient un peu... Euh, un, un peu ludique oui, et tout, puis elle les avait retrouvés un peu en moi. Et comme je lui avais proposé aussi de lui offrir ça, euh, ça avait bien fonctionné. Après ça, ce qui a fait qu'on a continué ensemble, je pense que c'est parce qu'on est parti en Italie pour un temps, toutes les deux en train, et euh, ça, ça a cliqué. On a parlé de projets, on a parlé de tout ce qu'on voulait faire, de notre travail auprès des enfants aussi beaucoup, euh, de ce qui nous intéressait à apporter dans le milieu de la danse aux enfants. Puis on se rejoignait sur beaucoup de points. Alors on a... 
on a cliqué, puis on a décidé que ça valait la peine de, de continuer, puis qu'avec justement toute cette, cette belle caractéristique physique que Danica peut apporter à la danse, tous les, les, les beaux moments très, très... Euh, qui demandent l'endurance physique là, dans la signature de Danica, puis avec le pantomime, puis l'humour euh, qu'il y a dans ma signature, on trouvait que ça pouvait être un mélange qui allait chercher vraiment... Euh, un grand public euh, d'enfants aussi pour leur montrer que la danse c'est pas juste euh, c'est pas juste le ballet c'est de montrer que la danse euh, ça peut être très très physique que ça peut être très très drôle que ça peut apporter des réflexions que ça peut te laisser imaginer des choses euh, que ça peut servir à énormément de palettes puis euh, c'est pour ça qu'on aime continuer nos spectacles aussi avec des, des ateliers. Après, pour les enfants, Danica a quand même une dizaine d'années d'expérience de professeur de danse sous chapeau. Donc, euh, ça vaut la peine d'en profiter. <rire> Puis, euh, on se permet de, de continuer les, les spectacles avec des ateliers parce que pour nous, ça, leur, ça permet aux enfants aussi de, de faire sortir toute cette, cette, cette espèce de vibration kinesthésique-là qu'ils ont reçue pendant le spectacle. Ils peuvent l'essayer après parce qu'on relie toutes nos activités à ce qui des fenêtres ou des histoires qu'ils ont vues dans le spectacle. Fait que ça leur permet de bouger, ça leur permet de sortir de leur zone de confort, puis ça leur permet d'expérimenter, de ramener ça à la maison après, puis de continuer ça dans leur jeu. C'est un, un gros morceau complet. <rire> ça, je me souviens, en fait, depuis pas mal le début du programme qu'on avait commencé ensemble, euh, la danse pour les jeunes, la danse pour enfants, créer vraiment un, des spectacles pour jeunes publics, ça a été euh, ta passion, ça a été la, la, la ligne directrice, en fait, que, que tu voulais suivre. Euh, tu as fait beaucoup de recherches, en fait, sur la scène à Montréal, sur la scène au Québec de la danse pour jeunes publics. Est-ce que, en fait, est-ce que, est que tu penses qu'il y, y a de la place à ce que cette scène-là grandisse? Pourquoi à Montréal? Est-ce que, puis est-ce que tu penses qu'à travers le fringe, ça va pouvoir un peu permettre ça, permettre d'accrocher des nouveaux publics, des plus jeunes publics à la danse? Oui, énormément. Euh, ça m'a pris du temps avant de comprendre euh, que ce que je faisais, ça s'en allait vraiment pour les, les plus jeunes. Mais une fois que j'ai compris, le déclic s'est fait. Puis euh, pour avoir présenté dans des garderies, donc le CPE Le Sablier, euh, à l'école Saint-Rémy euh, de Montréal-Nord aussi, avec des cinquièmes années euh, et dans deux écoles de danse, euh, on a vu que euh, le public attend ça. Les enfants adorent ça en cinquième année, justement, à l'école Saint-Rémy. Ils étaient tellement impressionnés. En fait, j'ai été impressionnée à quel point ils ont aimé ça. Mais aussi, à la fin, ils nous ont demandé des autographes tellement. Ils étaient conquis par le, par le travail. Puis la professeure Karine, qui est une, une amie, elle disait, je les ai pas souvent vus s'emballer comme ça. Puis elle dit, dans leur milieu, ils n'ont pas vraiment accès à ces, à ces morceaux d'art-là. Puis elle dit, ça, leur a, ça les a vraiment emballés. Puis elle dit, ils m'en ont parlé longtemps. Euh, ils ont voulu faire des activités à l'école là-dessus. Euh, je les ai vus un petit peu jouer dans la cour d'école avec tout ça. Fait que, tu sais, ça on, on a senti déjà un, un petit morceau de vibration qui a continué après nos présentations. Ça nous emballe encore plus. On se dit, en venant au Fringe, euh, on, on réussit à ramener peut-être un public qui déjà euh, pense pas à venir au Fringe, mais qui pourrait être intéressé par tout ce qui se fait aussi. D'ailleurs, pour le mini-Fringe que j'organise, j'ai un petit papier avec tous les shows All Ages qui... Euh, qui vont être présentés dans le French. Comme ça, les familles peuvent repartir avec une liste de spectacles qui peuvent être adaptés euh, à leurs enfants. Puis, euh, sans être nécessairement spécifique aux enfants, ces spectacles-là, mais qui peuvent justement te permettre d'ouvrir tes horizons en tant que, que petit âge, je dirais, là, à tout ce qui peut être contemporain, réflexion, ou des shows qui vont juste pas avoir de vulgarité puis qui vont te permettre de 
d'identifier ou d'imaginer ce que tu as envie de voir et de comprendre de ce spectacle-là selon ton... Euh, selon ton... où est-ce que tu es rendu dans ton développement. Mais je pense que le French, ça peut vraiment, vraiment euh, bien fonctionner là-dessus. Ça nous fait tellement plaisir de pouvoir le présenter ici, vu qu'on l'a fait à Bouche d'ici, puis qu'on a eu énormément de plaisir, encore une fois, avec trois autres interprètes qui étaient extraordinaires, qui n'ont pas pu refaire le projet parce qu'ils étaient trop occupés. On comprend, c'est des extraordinaires danseuses, mais euh, on est très, très emballés de pouvoir le présenter, puis de d'ouvrir, de faire un peu de la démocratisation de la danse avec les ateliers, c'est comme ça que ça fonctionne aussi. Puis plus, plus ça avance, plus notre idée, c'est d'aller les présenter dans des écoles, dans des garderies, d'aller présenter un peu partout euh, à Montréal, mais aussi au Québec, parce que quand on sort de Montréal, l'activité culturelle est, est bien présente, mais euh, ailleurs au Québec, euh, on peut encore donner un coup de pouce puis attendre beaucoup, beaucoup euh, tout ça. Et au niveau de cette création-là, euh, comme tu as mentionné, en fait, plutôt, toi et Denke, vous avez des approches très, très différentes l'une à l'autre. Euh, donc, euh, toi, en fait, c'est plus vraiment l'aspect ludique, l'aspect enfantin, l'aspect théâtral, d'une certaine façon. Denke, c'est plus au niveau du mouvement. Euh, comment est-ce que vous combinez ces deux approches-là pour faire, pour que ça, ça fasse un tout qui soit assez, euh, qui se tiennent bien ensemble? Oui, euh, pour l'instant, c'est assez instinctif. Je n'ai pas identifié de manière de travailler encore. Je sais qu'on, euh, comme on est un duo à organiser le spectacle, on se donne des tâches, des responsabilités que chacune va prendre en charge. Puis on a quand même, ça ne nous donne pas euh, l'interdiction d'aller travailler avec l'autre sur une idée ou d'en parler ou de, de rajouter des idées, mais ça veut juste dire qu'il y en a une des deux qui va prendre un petit peu plus le lead à ce moment-là. Fait que pour, pour Utopie, comme il y a plusieurs fenêtres dans le spectacle, de plusieurs, euh, plusieurs idées imaginaires, un peu comme si on vaguait d'un jeu à un autre, euh, on a chacune des fenêtres dans lesquelles on était responsable. Fait que veux, veux pas, il y a comme une touche qui ressort un peu plus de l'autre à ce moment-là, mais comme on y met toutes les deux notre, notre cœur en entier, ça, ça se mélange, là. Fait que je dirais que dans quelques projets, quand on aura travaillé énormément ensemble, euh, on, on peut-être... plus de réflexion. Oui, c'est ça, on aura plus de réponses à te donner. <rire> Et euh, avant qu'on se quitte, qu'est-ce que tu dirais aux adultes qui seraient réticents à aller voir la pièce parce qu'ils se disent « Ah, oh, c'est fait pour les enfants ». Ah, écoute, je leur dirais que euh, j'ai des collègues à la garderie qui ont pleuré de rire, des madames d'une quarante, cinquantaine d'années qui ont adoré notre spectacle autant que les enfants à la garderie, que à Bouge d'ici, quand on l'a présenté, c'était que des publics d'adultes et on a eu une réaction tout aussi merveilleuse. Hier, quand on a présenté à QDF pour Québec Drama Federation, euh, le public a tout autant embarqué dans le personnage de pirate que Janie nous offrait. Donc, euh, c'est vraiment pour tout public. Ça, nous, on s'amuse à pouvoir euh, s'assurer que les enfants vont garder l'intérêt et qu'ils vont vouloir rester assis tout en participant parce que c'est un spectacle interactif. Mais on le, on le fait pour que les parents, parce que veux, veux pas, ils viennent voir le spectacle avec les enfants. Et moi, je déteste m'en aller voir une pièce dans un centre de la culture et de me rendre compte que les parents se peuvent plus d'être assis parce que ça les intéresse pas. Les enfants aiment ça, c'est super génial, mais notre but à Danica et moi, dans, dans notre spectacle, c'est que les parents aiment ça autant que les enfants, puis jusqu'à maintenant, on a réussi notre, notre défi. Donc, juste pour rappeler à tout le monde, euh, on parlait avec Stéphanie Juteau du spectacle Utopie, des créations d'Enka et Stéphanie. Ça va être présenté au mai, les 13, 14, 16, 19, 20 et 21 juin. Euh, donc, vous pouvez voir l'horaire complet sur le site du Fringe, bien sûr. Donc, Stéphanie Juteau, merci beaucoup d'être venue avec nous aujourd'hui. Merci.
And up next with us, we receive Mel Sirois, who is presenting the show Seven, The Root of Self, uh, which is um, a dance and text-based piece which uh, traces the path of a life in seven re revelatory steps uh, from early childhood to the last day of existence of uh, one being. Um, so hello, Mel. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm very well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So tell us a bit about, about your path because um, you're not originally from Montreal. You're originally from New Brunswick. Yes. And how long have you been in Montreal for? Uh, well, I moved here several years ago and stayed. I, I studied at John Abbott and I stayed for seven years and then I moved away and I went to New York and I studied uh, I studied there, movement at the Laban Institute. Yeah, the Laban Bartenieff Institute for Movement Studies. And so in, in between that, I broke my foot. And so that was an interesting transition uh, trying to get back. But yeah, and then I came back from New York for, I was in New York for four years and I... I came back two and a half years ago. That's, um, I mean, for for our, our audience, which is uh, composed of a lot of dancers, a lot of choreographers, there's something a bit mythical about the Laban Institute. Um, and I've never met someone who comes from that school who uses it to create. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a bit about how, like, what, what that school and what that training has done for you as a dancer, as a choreographer, and how it has influenced the creation of this show exactly? Oh, definitely. Um, first thing that I learned was to expand my, um, my, my view on what dance is. I think that's what it did because I was so narrow-minded in terms of dance being so technically perfect and, and um, so exploring movement and full range of movement and, and expression and, um, you know, why you move and how you move and space. And so, yeah, that definitely helped me. Um, it, it shaped me in a different way as a dancer, as an artist, and as a choreographer. And then um, now I have so many tools that if I feel stuck that I can go in this, you know, my box of tools and pull out whatever I feel will work. And there's so many different lenses that I can look uh, through at my choreographies, at my creations. And um, sometimes it's, it's kind of overwhelming because I could go in so many different ways, but that's also the gift, you know, that you get from this program, um, that you have all these options. So, yeah, there's, it's... Uh, and, and also the program is, is so... Um, oh goodness, what's the word? It, it, it's so personal. It really is because you 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 learn how you absorb material, how um, it, it's yeah, it's a different way of of education. So, anyways, it's very yeah, it just changes you as a person. It's very great. And you mentioned before we started uh, recording the show that you started out in dance and you took a bit of a a turn towards more acting, more theater, and then you went back to movement. Yes. And this show is probably very, uh, probably exemplifies your, your path a lot through that. I would imagine uh, taking such a sharp turn and then coming back on, on the initial path that you have is probably a, a big part of, of those uh, seven steps that you're looking at, I would assume. Uh, that's a good question. Yes, it... I think for me, it's um, I, I don't really touch upon anything as specific as that in the show. 
Um, however, at the end, what, what for me is a conclusion is um, coming back to what you really love. And what I keep coming back to is dance. No matter how old I get or no matter how my technique, it, you know, might not be as sharp as I want it to be. Um, that it doesn't matter that if I don't dance, I don't feel well. I don't enjoy life as much. So, yes, and I d definitely do touch upon that in the show. And these different, uh, these seven worlds that you kind of transition to, um, how, uh, what inspired you to go further than the age you are now? And, and who are the people that inspired those sections? Because I guess it's kind of a, there must be some research in that or people who are in your surrounding that you're inspired by of, of watching other people age. And definitely, definitely. Um, Within the program, there was uh, I met a woman named Claire Porter, and she does comedic movement slash theater, hmm. and she's in her like late fifties, and to watch her move because that she she did apply all these tools to to enhance, to be specific, to you know shape. Her, her choreographies, her shows. I mean, they're just mesmerizing. So to watch her definitely um, helped me when, when I transitioned to, there's an energy there, a different energy that, that is not mine, a more mature energy. And that, when I tap into that, then the improv, something shifts and you can sense it. So that's been more the influence than um, a cerebral sort of research of what mm -hmm. happens physically to someone when you get out. It's, it's more... Estate. Who I want, yes, a state, and who I want to be at that age. Mm -hmm. How I want to shine and vibrate and be in the world, you know? So that's more where I'm going with that. So Chris Mason, who wrote the text and also directed, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is he, how, how much direction is he giving to the movement? Is it as far as structure goes in these improv sections? Or is it really just the delivery of the text and, and those more the characters behind it? That's a good question. Well, he's only been on board for the past two weeks as a director mm -hmm. it's yeah it's very very new um so we haven't had that much time to go into specifics in terms mm -hmm. of choreography quite yet because um the transitions are so important to be clear so yes we've been working mostly on the text um however this week because now the text is starting to you know sink in we'll be definitely going into more detail in terms of the evolution in this improv this specific improv and is it the first time you work with chris no, we actually created um, a group called Toe Belly, and we've performed um, text that he has written and movement that I have choreographed, and we perform it together. We move and speak together. So we've done that twice at some poetry slams, and uh, it's been cool. great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when it comes to text, is it, is it slam poetry, or is the text, like, is it going to vary between, like, more of a monologue or more slam poetry or more different types of presentation of text? All of the above. It changes depending on how old I am. It's, uh, and, and what the, the context is as well. So, yeah, there is a monologue that's more, you know, that, that's clear and specific. And then there's uh, a more of a lyrical, um, just all these mishmash of words and that when you, you receive them, you, you know, there's an impact there and, and that's what we want, but it's not linear. You won't be going into, you know, the story. 
And uh, this is not your first time performing for Montreal audiences, but is it your first time at the Fringe? Have you ever participated in Fringe before? No, I've performed in the Montreal Fringe. This will be my third time. Um, the two first times w w was a long time ago. <laughs> um, I would say at least nine years, something like that. And I also performed in the Winnipeg Fringe in 2007. So, so yeah, so the Fringe I'm not, uh, but Montreal will be the first time... I actually perform as a dancer in the Fringe. Yes, that's that's a first, and as a dancer in Montreal in a very long time. So, and this is the first time that you're presenting your own choreography in Montreal, uh, other than the slam poetry. Yes, yes. How does that feel? Nerve-wracking. <laughs> it's, it's it's intense, um, and and extremely exciting, because like I said, once I I made contact with the fact that dance is something I love so much. I can't wait to share it. I can't wait to do it. But I'm also yeah, definitely a little nervous. <laughs> so just to remind everyone, uh, we were talking to Mel Sirois, who is presenting the piece 7, The Root of Self, uh, of course during the Montreal Fringe. This will be presented on June 13th, 14th, 16th, 18th, 19th, and 20th. Uh, of course, the schedule can be seen on the website. And it will be presented at the Studio Jean Valcourt of the Conservatory on Henri Julien. So, Mel, thank you so much for coming uh, to talk to us about your piece. It's so my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We'll go on a quick break and we'll play a, a small excerpt from a track from the piece Seven, The Root of Self by Ephemeral, Ephemeral Motion. But you make everything all right when you're holding your squeeze with time. But you make everything all right when you're holding your squeeze with time. But you make everything all right when you're holding your squeeze with time. You make me feel so nice when I'm around you. Wake up in the morning and I'll spend my whole life with you. The sweetness of your smile helps away with all of my fears. If it should all go wrong, my life succumbs to tears I've never been so deep into anyone else but you I'm placed within my heart, never been so close to you And if you want me to hang around and I'll never let go I'll give you all my time and stick around with you for sure But you make everything alright when you're holding your squeeze the time But you make everything alright
met by the hand Because I'm your only man Because I'm your only man Because I'm Cause you make everything alright When you hold and squeeze me tight Cause you make everything alright When you hold and squeeze me tight Cause you make everything alright When you hold and squeeze me tight Cause you make everything alright When you hold and squeeze me tight I'll do anything for you Okay. Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks for having me here today. (laughs) So as you can hear, uh, we've got Maxine Segalowicz here with us. Um, She's here on the behalf of Team Greco um, Mm -hmm. uh, presenting a piece called Is This Pretentious? Is it? Is it? Um, Most likely, probably. Yeah, <laughs> come and find out. It's a Tell show that's uh, it's a show that's happening at the Studio Multimedia du Conservatoire on Henri Julien. Uh, so we're really excited about this show. Another uh, Concordia graduate. Um, yeah. So, tell us a little bit about uh, this performance. Will there be any uh, pretentious, uh, pretentious moments? Any Beyonce? Yeah, I guess. I hope. Beyonce is pretty much a certainty at this point. Considering well, it's Holly Greco. Have to come on by and find out uh, if, if Beyonce is in there. But there's definitely pretentious moments for sure. Um, it's two characters okay. who, are, uh, who graduated from the same dance program at the same time. And they were friends at the time. And then they went off in two different directions. And one went to creating more like a heavy... Like she's a social political... Activist. Ac- ac- but not really... Artist. She's a performance artist, but more over, like, uh, unnecessarily researched, as in not researched at all. Okay, let me say this again. Overly complicated <laughs> Overly complicated social political performance artist that is more about hype than actually about content. And she creates a lot of vapid work, and she doesn't really know what she's talking about. Is this you or Holly? This is Holly. <laughs> and then I am the Played other by spectrum. Holly Greco. <laughs> Played by Holly Greco. And I am the other character who is more researched, critical, judgmental, um, and is so researched that it limits her from being able to go out and connect with the community. Mm. So they are... T- and I know that in every art form or not even art form anytime that there's group work there's going to be people like this one who like talks about more than they know and one who knows so much but they don't necessarily share it all and then these two people have a lot of resentment towards each other these two characters and they get together and try to see if they can make a show that's the story. <laughs> Sorry, that's not quite. What and you in, asked. in real life, uh, putting yes. these characters aside, um, Holly and yourself, how is this the first time you guys co choreograph a, a show together? Yeah, this is the first time us just working together on our own. We've danced for Patrick uh, a couple of times, but Patrick Lloyd Brennan, who's also part of Team Greco, and <laughs> and he uh, and. Yeah, this is Holly's show that she's written. She was feeling uh, frustrated with how she felt about the art community and the contemporary art community in Montreal and wanted to find an outlet to talk about that. And this is what Mm -hmm. her creation was. 
to talk about it and to laugh about it. And yes, to, definitely to laugh about it. And what's the what's the creative process like? Is it is it very improv based or kind of around themes or around certain songs that you guys bring forward or costumes or definitely around costumes um, mm-hmm. and definitely around. Um, well, we we we're, she's written the script and then we're looking at. We're, we're just sourcing all of our character development from the story that she's created. And it's all there, 100%. We're creating these characters from the script, but uh, we're choosing songs based on whatever kind of movement we're creating. And it's, there, it's more of like a theater show with dance in it mm-hmm. than a dance show specifically. Hmm. Yeah. It's <laughs> a theater show about making dance. Yes, it's a theater show about making dance. With two dancers in it. With two dancers, yeah. Two dancers doing theater. Both <laughs> yes. Two dancers doing theater. And when it comes to that show um, and those characters more specifically, how much of them are based on yourselves or are based on people you actually know? Or are they more of a generalization of what you've seen in the community? Uh, I think it's a blend of all of those. Uh, when I first read the script that Holly gave me, I... I was thinking like, wow, I am both of these people, 100%. I sometimes make a lot of work that has no meaning and is totally pointless, but it's just because it's fun and people want to see it. And uh, and it has like no message or idea to share and, and change people's ideas or um, so on. And then there's other times where the work that I want to create or I'm highly critical of other people's work, but not being able to make my own Uh, researched work of my own so like I feel like I'm part of both both of these characters are in me and then I see them everywhere as well and I'm sure you guys do too yeah (laughs) what no I mean like like, (laughs) there are definitely archetypes that a lot of people play do you feel that this could actually be a a representation of a discussion or a dialogue between two halves of the same Montreal scene? Definitely. Definitely a part of this Montreal contemporary dance scene, contemporary art scene, in the music, in uh, really... Art in general. Yeah, yeah. art in general for sure. I think that's what makes our show more uh, accessible to more than just the dance community. Um, Anybody can go see it. Like Anybody who's done group work has seen these people it doesn't matter what the form that you're talking about or working mm-hmm. with these people are everywhere <laughs> and does the show try to make you take a side at, at any point of it um for sure i we want to give the audience the uh opportunity to change sides or or uh support one and disrespect the other or uh, both sides see but also give a lot of vulnerability to these people because they're both missing qualities that they wish that they had while the other one has those qualities. So it's, it's a nice smorgasbord of, uh, of characters and um, emotions and personal relationships. First of all, props on the use of smorgasbord. Very nice. Will there be any audience participation? Because I, I imagine that with the context of the show and knowing both of you, that would be something that would tend to happen, maybe? Not in this show. In this show, for the audience participation, pay it, uh, come and, and enjoy and pay attention and laugh. and Shut up and listen. Well, not necessarily shut up and listen, but um, we, we're, it's set in a restaurant. 
in a bar. So we want to create that feel for the audience to perhaps even feel like they're also just happening to be there in the same way. So in, in that way, they're just seeing another, a few other people in the restaurant have an interesting conversation. Hopefully interesting conversation. <laughs> I'm sure it will be interesting. And um, if you're interested and on Twitter, hashtag is this pretentious, hashtag Team Greco. Yeah, Team Greco. Uh, they're going to be at Studio Multimedia du Conservatoire, venue 11. Um, and their show is running from the uh, June 12th till the 21st. Check out uh, montrealfringe.ca for more information. And uh, thank you very much, Maxine, for coming to chat with us. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Up next with us is Jenny Pinard, who's presenting Le Bonheads and Friends, uh, and that's part of the Off, uh, off W at the Wiggle Room. Uh, that's going to be from, it's starting very soon, actually. It's starting on June 11th, then 12th, 14th, 16th, 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st. Um, so, Jenny, hi, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, so, Bunheads, we actually saw you guys recently at Bouge DC. You were presenting a piece as part of Bouge, yes. and now you're pre presenting a piece as part of The Fringe. Um, is this a continuation of... Well, we actually have a trilogy. Um, what we did at Bouge DC was, um, it's our second number, but it was the first one that we created. From there, um, in the context of uh, our school that we went to, Vanessa and I, L'Ecole de Clunet Comédie, um, we created the first number, and then just recently, our newest one is like the last number to sort of finish off that trilogy, so that's going to be in our show. And you've, you've brought friends this time. Could yeah, you tell us a bit about... we have a couple friends. <laughs> are those friends going to be recurring at every show, or are you using a rotating cast of friends? Oh, the, it's the same friends. Um, we have uh, three other friends, one of which is Mark Rollins. Um, so he'll be sort of the MC of the show. Um, he will be doing some improv. Very funny guy, very funny guy. There's also Edouise that went to school with us. Uh, she'll be doing some burlesque. And then we have this this mystery act, and he's not on our poster. We kind of kept him as like our secret secret bomb of the show. Um, so I won't reveal too much. Just have to come see it. But it's fun because we all have a similar um, clown background. So it kind of sets the tone for the whole show. It's um, you talk about it very much in that uh, that physical comedy, uh, that clowning aspect of the show. But you guys are both. Uh, originally dancers also yeah Vanessa and I we both have a dance background and when we met um, in school actually it was in a slapstick workshop and we didn't know each other at all and all day we just had to like practice fake slapping each other and our teacher was kind of like hmm I like you two together you have a lot of precision and then he sort of clicked oh they both have dance background and from there we sort of used that that's what we had in common um, we both have different characters And when we come together, um, it's comp like it's competitiveness, and that's sort of what the three numbers are based from. And you know, the the best thing that we could sort of use as a technique to bring that out is through dance and, and movement, which we have in common. And is that competitiveness aspect uh, coming back when you create together? Is this something that's part of your daily lives together, or is it very much the characters that you embody that? that have that aspect? Um, I think it's, p it's part of us, obviously, because with, uh, with the clown training, 
Um, it brings out what we have too much or what we don't have enough of inside of, of us. But when we're together, the creation process is actually pretty easy. Um, we, we haven't really gotten any fights yet, um, but we do have that competitiveness towards maybe the industry or like towards different things. But between us, it's been so far so good. So far so good. Fingers crossed. <laughs> and tell us a bit about the... Cause I remember at Bush DC there was this uh, this story that was presented in a very physical comedy aspect of two dancers, two ballerinas, um, not really getting getting along on stage. Mm -hmm. uh, in a longer form, as such as this show, are you creating more backstory be behind all of that? Is this where you're going with this? And will there be more text, or is it still going to be just physical comedy? That's a good question. Um, with us, because we're so physical, there isn't much room for us to speak. Um, so we mainly use sort of our bodies and our technique to bring out the comedy. There is a through line between all three numbers. It does evolve by the third number. Um, but we use three different types of dance, and it's, it's, it's similar because it's the same characters that come back, and we want to create that effect where we walk on stage and they're like, oh, no, not them again. Like, what's going to happen this time? But, but there's different aspects in each one, each one of them. Um, I've, I'm actually really curious, and this is maybe not so much about the, uh, the movement or the, the context of the, the relationship between the two characters, but mm -hmm. the costumes, because mm -hmm. the costumes are absolutely stunning. Um, the, the visual of the poster, who are you guys working with um, as far as uh, a collaborator for, for costume design? That's a good question. Um, for the costumes, it's quite funny because those are my costumes when I was around 10 to 12 years old in competitive dancing. And thank you, Mother, for keeping them in our basement. And I just called her up and I was like, I need some tutus. And, and then for our salsa dance, those were legitimately some of my costumes when I was 12 years old. So they're a little tight. And uh, so we had to fix them up a little bit, but they really come from that. Uh, as far as the burlesque, that is her costume. She made that herself. She actually, it's not in the poster, but she has this crazy hat. It's like this crazy fruit hat. It's so impressive when she walks on stage. It's amazing. And, uh, and Mark's costume was developed um, at L'Ecole de Clune Comédie. It's a big part of our character work, is sort of finding out what our costume is, because we do have, like, ticks and we use them. And, and Mark is so, uh, his character is very, like... You just feel so much for him, like so much compassion. Like every time he walks on stage, you're like, oh, he's so cute, right? So his costume really accentuates that. And so that, that's him that made his costume as well. Cool. Yeah. And when it comes to the format of the show, is it more of a cabaret style with vignettes or with tableaus? Or how exactly did you structure it so that it makes sense to have those two ballerinas, that burlesque dancer, that... Uh, well, MC, I guess I would mm -hmm. call Mark's character. Well, Vanessa and I wanted um, a way to have a show around our three numbers that we already have. Um, so we invited our friends that already have some solid pieces. Uh, they're about five to seven minutes, so it is cabaret style. And we sort of inserted them to have a really good flow in the show. Um, and we wanted a variety as well like a really good variety and I think that we do create that and our mystery man does have a little bit of music in his act um, and a bit more he's just weird <laughs> he's just so strange but very very in impressive in a good way oh in the best way 
in the best way possible. Uh, and then and then Mark sort of links everything together. Um, and you know, we brought in characters like in between for little like skits to sort of have everyone in on the gags and in on the characters and understand sort of the through line. And the finale almost like brings everything together. And what could you tell me about your characters? We haven't really gotten around to it, but mm-hmm. as you said, it's very much the uh, the genesis of, of clowning, which is like really embodying, well, creating that character, creating the, the different aspects of it. How would you describe both of those characters, both you, your character and Vanessa's? Mm-hmm. Well, let's put it this way. We have a lot in common because we're both Franco-Ontarian, so like the whole speech stuff, like we have so much in common in that, that sense, also physically, um, but emotionally, like we're both funny in different things, and that's what makes it so interesting. When you create a clown number, you go, okay, I'm funny doing this, this, and this, what are you funny? Okay, let's find a way to create the number around that so that we get the laughs. Um, so Vanessa tends to get a little bit more intense. Like her clown name is The Beast. We never really say that out loud, but it's true. Like she, and she's a little bit more white than I am, so I do tend to get a little bit more red in the sense of I'm kind of like the idiot at times. I'm the one who steps on her foot by accident, and she's the one who gets mad. But that does switch. We're so we're on the verge of both. So it's very, you can't really expect anything when you watch it. You never really know what's going to happen. But that's what we have in common. But our differences, um, you know, there's, there's timing involved. I'm a lot quicker than she is in her movements and emotionally. And she's a, a little bit slower, but... Um, but it's funny because, like, we don't have our normal clown costumes on. In school, we have our different costumes. She has, like, this nurse um, costume, and I have this Cleopatra costume, but we sort of, like, put that aside to really bring out the story of our trilogy and what we have in common, which is, you know, the ballerina costume and the other two numbers. Um, just a quick clown 101, actually, because you mentioned the... the that she's more white, yeah. and it, not so much like as a as a skin tone or anything like that. But it's it's <laughs> yeah. the difference between white clown Sorry. and red clown. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about the difference and how it is represented in those three characters? My guess is that Mark's probably a white clown. Hmm. Um, so the white the white is a bit more um, dominant. It the white clown um, carries the structure in a clown number. So they are sort of the one who goes like, okay, moving on. And the red one is a bit more naive. Mm. So then maybe not so much. Yeah. Uh, Mark is naive, but the thing that's fun about clown is that you could be naive, you could be red, but you do have characteristics that flip really quickly, like um, that are very different, um, that are like unexpected. You know, I could be, my, visually I'm very elegant and oh wow, they're really pretty, and then in a second I could like punch someone out you know what I mean like it's that huge switch you don't have to be stuck in one of the two exactly my my understanding of of the dichotomy if I can say that between red and white was mostly about white would be sort of order and red would be kind of chaos sure would you would you feel that that's a good like quick yeah it's so hard to put a definition to it um, because there's so many different types of white clowns as well um, there's some that literally just come on stage and like just give the simple reaction of like you're an idiot 
and they're really funny doing that. But there's other whites, like Vanessa, where she switches, she can go to red really quickly and then go back to white depending on the situation and who she's with. It's very complicated. It's hard to put a definition to it, but, um, but I think that's a good definition, what you gave, for sure. So the piece is called Le Bon Heads and Friends. Uh, the Bon Heads is the, the two characters that you portray together. Mm -hmm. And it will be at the, uh, the Wiggle Room on June... 11th, 12th, 14th, 16th, 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st. Uh, for the full schedule, it can be found on the MontrealFringe.ca website. And uh, we were talking to Jenny Pinard. Oui. <laughs> so thank you so much, Jenny, for coming on with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Up next, we're going to speak to uh, a performer and, uh, and, and a character from Laureen, Queen of the Tundra. This is a show by Viva Voom. Uh, it was uh, put together by Antonio Bavero. And we have uh, one of the, the performers, uh, Ryan Sove, who I actually went to high school with um, for dance as well. And uh, so, so the dance element in this show is, uh, is done by mostly your, uh, your alter ego, Ryan. Would you like to introduce us to, uh, to <laughs> who's actually performing in the show? All right, so uh, I'm Ryan, um, but then also in the show, there is Uma Gad. Um, you know, people kept meeting me, and they just kept saying, oh, my God, and so I just kind of assumed that that was my name. Um, so I'm in the show with uh, a bunch of other fabulous queens, uh, and we all do a little bit of dancing. It's not a dance show, but we, we try to put it in wherever we can because, well, I love it. All right, so tell us what, what the show is primarily, if not dance. It's a bit of everything. So it's a cabaret, um, and what we decided to do was, uh, it all came from, well, Kani Lingua. Um, she decided she wanted to do a cabaret all about Canadian identity, drag, and politics. Because, you know, a lot of people think that drag queens were just there to be pretty, and while we are fabulously pretty, we also have thoughts inside these heads, and we wanted to say some stuff about Canada. Drag itself, um, if you go back to, to the start of... The drag queen, uh, well, I wouldn't call it movement per se, but the, more the uh, the act of drag and mm -hmm. all of that. There was something quite political, maybe not in the inception, but afterwards. Well, absolutely, drag became a very political act, and it's been studied at, at in universities as a political performance quite often. Uh, how does it feel to to take? drag out of the bar, out of the club, and bring it onto more of a performance stage uh, and bring back that political element uh, in full force. It's kind of interesting because Canny Lingua, who organized the show originally, also uh, does the Miss Van Horn uh, competition as well as Quint of the Year. And uh, those are both contests where we wanted to take drag queens out of the village and we opened it up to any kind of queen um, doing any kind of style. Because, like you said, originally it was a very political kind of statement. You know, it was a dangerous thing to be a queen, whether you were just dressing up or if it was because you were trans or anything like that. Um, so the re-politicalization of, of it uh, is, is uh, 
I, I feel like it's bringing it back to its roots and it's something that we're really proud of. Um, and also the queens that are in the show, we run the gamut of people who are very much not political to people who are very involved with the community in political regards. Um, and so it's kind of been this learning experience and we want to facilitate that for the community at large. And drag is, is, uh, is something that is again so so very linked to the performance space that it's done in quite often it's going to be in bars uh, Montreal people are going to think of drag they're going to think of Cabaret Mado uh, but the fringe is something that you can bring elements that are more uh, within a specific community out into the open into a wider audience um, how have you like which steps have you gone through to get people who normally wouldn't go to a drag show who might even be uh sort of turned off by the idea of drag uh, into, you know, to bring those people into the performance space that you'll be performing in. Uh, like, have you been going out to, to the, you know, to, to meet people and say, we're doing a, a, a drag show and this is not what you expect it to be? Like, how have you been going around publicizing that show? I think that we've got... Uh a lot of smart people on our team. We found good ways to explain the show. We tried to emphasize the fact that, really, this is a political show. We're doing it in drag because, you know, there's nothing there's nothing funnier than a clown, you know? I thought you were going to say there's nothing, nothing funny about drag. Oh, no, there's, everything's funny about drag. Uh, no, but there's, there's nothing funnier than a clown, and uh, people will listen to us. And we tried to emphasize that this is a political show, but there's also uh, a lot of personal elements that are in it as well. Um, all the queens in the show have uh, personal monologues that we've written about our lives or our experiences in drag or uh, our Canadian identities, such as it is. Um, we have some immigrant queens in our group. We have, uh, we have people that have been doing this for a long time or just started. So we've really tried to make sure that we could tell people about that. Um, I mean, we also had a good team of people that kind of have their fingers in lots of pies, if I may say so. Um, so we had communities in the uh, we had people in the burlesque community that were supporting us. We had people in the theater community. We had people in the queer community. Um, what's great is that actually Canny and I were pretty much neighbors in uh, the the Petit Patrie neighborhood, and so we've got the little queerborhood over there that everybody knows everybody. So we, the word spread pretty fast that we were doing this, and we've got a lot of support. I'm sort of going to move away from, from the show for a quick question, but if you could have one political figure in Canada that you could put in drag and have do a drag act, who would it be and why? Oh, my. God? Well, oh, my God, yeah. Um, that's a good question. You know, uh, Stephen Harper makes a... Well, Stephanie Harper makes an appearance or two in our show. Uh, trust me, if that's the only reason you come to this show, that's it's a good one. Um, but I gotta say, you know, there's just something about how pretty Justin Trudeau is that I think I think we could definitely make that into something amazing. And uh, when it comes to to the political aspect, because you mentioned the political aspect, but you also mentioned this Canadian aspect of the show, like this this Canadian identity and heritage. What's so like, how would you approach that? Because we don't really think of Canadian heritage linked to drag, per se, but it might be more than we expect. How exactly do you bring the two together? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, 
I think really it was more about our personal experiences, whether in or out of drag when it came to Canadian identity. Also, considering the fact that we've got, in our show, we have uh, a Peruvian Quebecois, we have um, an Israeli, uh, we also have someone from... uh, from Newfoundland, Alberta, from the Ottawa Valley. Uh, That's where I'm from. Uh, So we've got everyone experiencing Canada from every possible angle. And we really wanted to explore that because all of us are experiencing it so differently. And then we're in Montreal where it's this kind of battleground for identity because you have the French Quebecois, the English Quebecois, you've got the French Ontarians that are coming in, you've got English Ontarians, you've got people from the States from all over the world that are coming together here, and we're all experiencing the same thing very differently. So it's kind of like this uh, nationalistic anti-nationalism. And there's going to be a lot of laughter because it's drag, because it's it's in the essence of, of drag, approaching things with a laugh. Could you tell us about like how you you came up with those acts? Like, did you decide to sort of have a, a common theme that people would be talking about, or or those mostly acts that people had already created and that you brought into the show? Like, what was the the creation process like for everyone? It started off with one number, and then once we started to make the show, we kind of had to decide we wanted to explore. Like I said, uh, we wanted everyone to personally explore their Canadian identity. Um, and also their drag identity. And those were for the monologues. But then as the numbers started being created, we kind of just, you know, scoured the web because, you know, drag queens were really great at finding really obscure sound clips for us to mash together and then turning it into something really bizarre. So we did a lot of that. Um, You know, and we have, we're at Cafe Cleopat, which is kind of interesting because we have this legacy of drag there. So that's also part of the identity that we have as queens here in Montreal. And we know that it's a great place to put on a laugh riot show. But we also wanted to make sure that we had the serious moments because, uh, you know, things aren't always, uh, you know, rose-tinted glasses when it comes to po- uh, to politics. So we wanted to make sure that we were real about it. But also, you know what, like I said, we're a bunch of clowns. We're a bunch of guys in dresses. So, I mean, we're going to have to ham it up a little. And, of course, uh, final question before uh, we're done. There's a, there's a strong callback to another uh, piece of art called Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I, I, the, the title was probably taken from that. Do you feel that uh, movies like that, that have given a, a sort of a voice to drag queens in, in the popular media, do you feel that that's been essential for drag to become more accepted and so that you can do an actual performance out of the drag scene Uh, that would be more welcomed by the mainstream public? Do you feel that there has been that legacy established in popular media that was essential for you to be able to do what you're doing now? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, when drag started, it was was a statement. It was an act of defiance. And while it still is now in so many places, um, we do have a lot of exposure in the media now, and so we've got a much larger venue for us to speak in. Part of what we're doing with this show, though, is, you know, Priscilla was kind of uh, talking about, you know, the drag down under. And we've all seen RuPaul's Drag Race. And that's very, you know, it's all about the American identity of drag. But Canadian drag, people don't know about it. And so we're trying to expose people to Canadian drag 
and maybe even foster more people to think about what that really is. And it comes up in the show, the Canadian drag identity and who is creating it and who is being the historian, who's looking back and telling us where we came from in Canada. Um, that was really, really important. And we're so thrilled with the success of all these things because we get to tell people all about it. You know, I don't have to just sit there and, you know, kiki with my friends and just, you know, we all think back on the good times. Now I get to find anybody else out of the drag scene and I can be, you know, professor drag queen about it. And I can tell you all about where we came from. And it's really fascinating for me. So Uma and Ryan, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Uh, just remind it's uh, Lauren, Queen of the Tundra. That's going to be at Cafe Cleopat on Fridays, June uh, on Friday, June twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, eighteenth, nineteenth, twenty, and twenty-first. And of course, the full schedule can be found on the Fringe uh, website. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you so much, Uma, for coming on with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, really. Thank you so much. Donc en ce moment, on reçoit Marie-Ève Betty euh, qui vient nous parler du spectacle « Les deux voyageurs clandestins » qui est un spectacle de cirque aérien euh, par la compagnie Cirque Essence. Euh, ça, va, ça va être présenté au Théâtre La Chapelle le 13, 14, 18, 19, 20 et 21 juin. Euh, donc, euh, bonjour, ça va bien aujourd'hui? Oui, bonjour, ça va bien, merci. Donc, qu'est-ce que tu pourrais nous dire à propos de Cirque Essence? C'est pas la première fois, en fait, que vous faites un spectacle au Fringe, si je me trompe pas. Oui, c'est la, la première fois. fois. Okay. Oui, et pour les trois personnes euh, du spectacle, les trois artistes, c'est notre première fois euh, en spectacle au Fringe. Mais c'est pas la première fois qu'on présente euh, ce spectacle. Euh, L'année passée, on avait participé euh, au Festival de jazz à Montréal. Puis, on avait monté euh, les grandes lignes de ce spectacle, les deux voyageurs clandestins. Et c'est un spectacle de cirque aérien, donc tout est rigué, tout, est, tout va être aérien, tout va être dans les airs? Euh, c'est qu'il y a beaucoup, la moitié du spectacle, c'est des euh, numéros aériens. Il y a un, un numéro de cordelis, un numéro de trapèze danse, puis un numéro de tissu aérien. Euh, puis à côté de ça, ben, il y a aussi un peu de danse, de, de musique live, il y a du saxophone, du chant, euh, un peu d'acrobatie au sol aussi. Et qu'est-ce que tu pourrais nous dire de Cirque Essence? Euh, est-ce que vous avez tous étudié ensemble à l'école de cirque? Comment est-ce que vous vous êtes rassemblés pour créer Cirque Essence? Mmh. Euh, on on, on s'est croisés on, en s'entraînant ensemble à la caserne 1830, où on a suivi notre formation pour la plupart. Euh, puis, ben, on s'entendait bien, on aimait s'amuser ensemble en s'entraînant. Puis, on s'est dit, ben, pourquoi pas monter un spectacle... Euh, joyeux, où les, où les gens vont rire, puis où on va raconter une histoire. Là-dessus aussi, on se rejoint beaucoup. On, on aime jouer des personnages, raconter des histoires et, euh, oui, faire des prouesses circassiennes, mais pas que ça non plus, pas que de la technique. Donc, il y a vraiment une trame narrative qui est établie lors du spectacle, c'est ça? Oui, c'est ça. Euh, Samuel, lui, il joue le personnage d'un bagagiste à son affaire. Il veut ranger les bagages, il veut euh, regarder l'étiquette des voyageurs. Puis Nathan et moi, nous, on, on est des clandestins. On veut euh, sneaker, euh, puis rentrer euh, et avoir accès au, au train. Fait que pour ça, ben, on doit distraire le bagagiste, on doit essayer de le charmer avec nos numéros. On l'invite même à jouer avec nous. Puis, euh, ben, là, après, pour la suite, il faut voir euh, <rire> comment ça va euh, se dénouer, cette histoire. 
J'ai une question qui va avoir l'air un peu bizarre, mais euh, le fringe, pour ceux qui ont déjà performé au fringe, il n'y a pas beaucoup de temps pour monter et démonter. Puis vous, avec le cirque, le rigging, c'est complexe. Comment vous avez fait pour faire en sorte que ça soit possible au juste? Oui. Juste la question logistique, parce que ça me rend un peu fou à l'idée de, de, de devoir régler ça, en fait. Qu'est-ce oui. que vous avez, comment vous avez arrangé ça pour le euh, cirque aérien? On a dû adapter un peu une, notre concept. Euh, initialement, tous les accessoires euh, et les appareils aériens étaient dans les, dans les valises. Puis euh, même les voyageurs clandestins se cachent dans les valises. Tout était dans les valises. Puis on les découvrait euh, pendant le spectacle. Euh, mais là, ça demandait euh, des poulies, des palins et tout ça. Donc, on, on est allé visiter là, la salle, puis on s'est organisé. On va déjà mettre les appareils aériens qui vont descendre avec des petites poulies. Euh, puis on a un rigueur professionnel, Marcus, qu'on a engagé. Pendant notre pratique technique, on va mettre les points d'accroche déjà. Euh, puis ensuite, on va juste avoir cliqué des mousquetons avec un échafaud euh, vite, vite avant chaque spectacle, puis après chaque spectacle aussi. Donc, le rig va rester là pendant la run complète, mais vous allez pouvoir juste le faire descendre puis monter. Oui, exactement. Une chance, parce qu'on se ça à chaque fois, ça serait un petit peu euh, chaotique. Hein? Oui, 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 non. On n'aurait pas le temps en 15 minutes, effectivement. Au niveau du, euh, du spectacle, en fait... Euh, à quel point est-ce que la trame narrative est, est essentielle? Parce qu'en général, le cirque, souvent, c'est des numéros qui ont déjà été créés euh, et la trame narrative, souvent, va servir à ficeler un peu le tout ensemble. Mm -hmm. Dans ce cas-ci, est-ce que, est que vous avez vraiment créé les numéros pour, pour cette pièce-là ou est-ce que vous avez utilisé des numéros qui ont déjà été créés et que vous avez ficelé tout ensemble? Euh, on a créé les numéros pour ce spectacle. Euh, puis comme c'est euh, à propos de voyage d'idées de voyage. Euh, chaque musique, c'est de différents pays euh, pour rappeler euh, ça, le voyage, les pays. Euh, donc, euh, c'est à partir d'accessoires. Par exemple, Nathan, lui, il trouve euh, un chapeau rouge, une ceinture et son numéro, c'est le numéro de flamenco. Euh, Samuel, lui, sa corde, ben, nous, on, on va le taquiner puis on va accrocher plein de vêtements dans la corde. Puis là, ben, il va être fâché, puis il va devoir faire son numéro en essayant d'aller chercher tous les vêtements dans la corde. Ça, c'est quand même euh, original. Et on a, ben, nous, on n'avait pas vu ça avant. Puis ça a été créé exactement pour ce spectacle. Puis mon numéro de tissu aussi, il est plus euh, d'ambiance euh, arabe, je dirais. Je ne sais pas si c'est marocain ou quel pays exactement. Euh, puis là aussi, c'est encore pour charmer, pour rappeler le voyage, puis à partir d'accessoires trouvés dans des valises. Donc, c'est tout, euh, c'est les numéros aériens, entre autres. Là. Puis sinon, les acrobaties, ben, encore une fois, on, on joue avec les valises, on se les lance. On a un numéro de jonglerie aussi, où on, on fait de la jonglerie avec des bikinis. Alors, euh, c'est beau visuellement, voir plein de vêtements revolés. Euh, voilà. Et au niveau du spectacle... Euh tu as mentionné la musique, mais est-ce que vous avez des musiciens live? Je pense que tu avais mentionné, ça se peut-tu? Oui, Samuel, il joue aussi du saxophone, puis il chante. Euh, fait qu'on essayait de mettre les talents de chacun en, en lumière. Lui, avec son background de musique, bien, il contribue de cette façon-là. Euh, Nathan, lui, a un background en théâtre. Fait que ça, ça, bien, on joue tous des personnages, mais il a pu nous aider beaucoup. Puis moi, j'ai un background en danse. Donc, euh, toutes les pas de danse, euh, les chorégraphies, ça, c'était plus euh, ma touche. Et donc, tu as chorégraphié ces, ces, ces moments-là qui sont peut-être transitoires, si je comprends bien, plus? 
Oui, c'est pour faire des liens, surtout. Euh, puis, si j'ai chorégraphié, ça, ça reste quand même, c'est un collectif. Euh, L'ensemble des chorégraphies, on, on donnait tout le temps toutes nos idées pour essayer de, de s'entendre, puis d'ajouter euh, les idées de tout le monde. Puis au niveau de la danse, en fait, parce que ça, on voit de plus en plus ça, euh, ces doigts de la main, ils font beaucoup, en fait, d'amener des éléments très dansants hein, dans, dans, mmh. dans le cirque. Euh, à quel point est-ce que tu as trouvé d'amener cet élément-là de danse euh, dans une création de cirque? Comment est-ce que ça a été? Est-ce que ça a été assez, euh, assez seamless, assez facile, en fait, embarquer dans, mmh. dans la création? Euh, dans le cas de notre spectacle, ça a été facile parce que euh, on a beaucoup de déplacements sur scène ou des, des bagages à aller placer ou des appareils à aller chercher. Donc, au lieu de juste marcher pour faire ces choses-là, ben là, c'est plus il y a danser ou il y a des chorégraphies. Fait il y avait des moments qui se prêtaient très bien. C'était pas euh, des ajouts difficiles à faire. Même au contraire, ça enrichit, je pense, le spectacle. Et pour les gens qui, euh, qui, ont, qui ont une idée très figée du cirque, qui vont penser à ça, qui vont penser à, au Cirque du Soleil, euh, qu'est-ce que tu dirais à ces gens-là avant qu'ils aillent vous voir? Euh, je dirais que c'est très différent de, <rire> du Cirque du Soleil. Euh, en plus, on a la chance d'être au Théâtre de la Chapelle. C'est une salle très intime. Alors, ça va être un endroit où ils vont plus pouvoir justement suivre les personnages. On garde notre même personnage tout le long. Les trois, on est 30 minutes sur scène tout le long. Fait que ça va être plus euh, voir une histoire où il y a aussi des acrobaties plutôt que juste voir euh, des trucs très, très flamboyants, mais de très loin, souvent. C'est un autre euh, esthétisme. Moi, je dirais que c'est très accessible. Quand on parle de notre spectacle aussi, on dit que les enfants sont les bienvenus. Je pense que les adultes peuvent s'amuser aussi, mais c'est très grand public, notre spectacle. Euh, c'est surtout ça la différence, c'est à plus petite échelle. Donc, Marie-Noël, euh, venez nous parler de le spectacle Les deux voyageurs clandestins de la compagnie Cirque Sans. Ça va être présenté le 13, 14, 18, 19, 20 et 21 juin. L'horaire, bien sûr, peut être vu sur le site du Fringe et ça va être présenté au Théâtre La Chapelle. Donc, Marie-Noël, Betty, merci beaucoup d'être venue nous parler du spectacle aujourd'hui. <rire> ça me fait plaisir, merci. Et avant qu'on passe au prochain artiste, on va entendre un extrait de musique que tu nous as envoyé. Est-ce que tu peux nous introduire euh, l'extrait, s'il te plaît? Oui, euh, ça s'appelle Samba Diferente. C'est d'un groupe euh, brésilien et euh, c'est la musique qu'on prend pour notre numéro de jonglerie quand on jongle avec les bikinis. <rire> Mascarinha de quem tá gostando demais Carinha de quem tá gostando demais 
pescoço quebrado, bundinha pra trás. Mãozinha pra frente, pra cima e pra baixo. Pescoço quebrado, é assim que se faz. Bate, 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 Next with us, we receive, we welcome uh, Justin Lewis, who's coming to talk to us about the uh, superhero musical Captain Aurora, and that's being presented by Kaleidoscope Theatre Montreal. So that will be at the Théâtre La Chapelle on June 13th, 14th, 15th, 17th, 19th, and 20th. So Justine, hi, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful, thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. So tell us a bit about uh, about yourself. Actually, you originally come from Montreal, but mm -hmm. you're not established in Montreal anymore. Could you tell us a bit about your park? Yeah, your for sure. Life? So I'm originally from Montreal. I grew up here on the South Shore as a dancer primarily. And then I went to John Abbott College for professional theater. And that's where I met the um, creator and director of the show, Trevor Barrett. And we really hit it off. And we studied together for three years. But then I decided to, to proceed with um, musical theater and studied that more intensely, singing, dancing, and acting. So I uh, moved to Toronto to go to Randolph Academy for the Performing Arts. So I studied musical theater there intensely for two years. Um, I've been out about two years now, which is so long. <laughs> and I'm established in Toronto as well. And But I decided to come back here and work on this awesome show with Trevor and help him out and you know, produce Canadian musical theater together. Yeah. So I'm really excited to be home. And uh, right before we started recording, you told me a quick synopsis of the story, mm -hmm. and it seems complex. Uh, could you give us a, a very brief description of uh, what the show is about? Exactly? Sure. So I don't want to give away too much, but essentially it's a superhero musical, and it's the Sky Guard fighting against an Aru invasion. So there's been an Aru war back in the day, and my character, President Arya has kind of reestablished Earth. She's created a sense of peace, 
technology, culture is flourishing, and now the Aru are returning. And they've expected that for a while now. So the Aru is returning, and they're fighting back. However, actually, I'm not going to give that away. So um, you'll just have to come see it. But essentially, it's an Aru war, and, you know, good versus the bad. And so there's a strong science fiction aspect yes, to the show. Yeah, totally, totally. It's, like, set in the future. It's, it's planet Earth set in the future, you know, kind of like exploring the ideas of what we could be potentially coming into, you know what I mean, as human beings or as society. And Trevor's really focusing on, you know, the meaning that each character possesses. Why are they doing this? Why are they joining the Skargard versus joining the Aru? Why have they joined the Aru? You know? So figuring out why this character's doing this and what that means to them um, and what they're fighting for. When it comes to science fiction on stage, it it all always well. It often spells a uh, uh, production values nightmare. Yes, uh, how yeah, did you get totally. around to that? Like, because for a French show, you might not necessarily have the budget for like a, a full on Broadway performance. But like I said, this isn't Trevor's first rodeo, so he's very good at budgeting, from what I can tell. Um, we have a great creative team, so we've got like. That's it. It's super enhanced with costumes, and we're trying to create that sci-fi, like, larger-than-life characters, a bit of absurd theater. So we've got three tables that we've kind of converted into various set pieces. They light up. We have costumes that light up. Um, we're going to have, like, yeah, I don't want to give away too much, but um, he's definitely great at budgeting, so we've, we're doing our best to create that larger-than-life vibe. And then, because with, with musical theater, a big aspect is well, the musical element. Did Trevor create the the music, the the yes. lyrics, and everything? So, um, Chris Barrelero, which is um, he's awesome, <laughs> super well known in Montreal as well, worked alongside on the orchestrations with Trevor. So he helped him with the music. But essentially, this is Trevor's beast. It's his baby. Um, he's very talented. I'm honored to be working with him. So he's written the script. He's written the lyrics music um, and we also have David Theriot who's working on uh, the show with us as well he's MD so we've got a great team guiding us um, a very experienced team as well so for musical theater because I know we were discussing like it's not really a huge thing in Montreal just yet you know so we've really got a great team carrying the show one of the reasons why uh, Montreal well one of the reasons that been uh, supposed as why Montreal is having a hard time is the language divide of course yeah uh, do you feel that it's it's a show and that the music is something that the French audience could get into that they, they would have an easy time absolutely that's what I, th I don't want to say that musical theater is an easier watch than a play I don't want to be that person to say that but it can often be a little more jump right into the show. You know what I mean? Even if you don't really understand what's going on, it's like, it's a little more entertaining to watch. In my opinion, I'm a little biased. I love to dance, I love to sing, and it's very in your face. So um, it's definitely, can be challenging in terms of like the subject matter, like even just trying to explain the show to you, like the Aru versus the Sky Guard, you know? Um, it can be kind of hard to catch on to that, but at the end of the day, the, it's super visually entertaining as well. So, If you're if you're bilingual, you will glad like you will easily get along with the show. If French is your first language, um, obviously it'll be a little more challenging. Just like if I went to see, as much as I'm bilingual, if I went to see a French show, it'd be a little more harder for me to to follow. But because it is a musical, um, it's so much fun. You know, like you can just jump into the music and watch the choreography and the set move, and our transitions are very strong. And um, 
it's child-friendly as well. So if it's kid-friendly, it's usually a little more easier to follow, right? So um, I definitely think the Francophone community should come out and check it out. And with, because uh, you're the choreographer, the movement director yeah. for the piece, and because you have extensive training in movement for musical theater, mm -hmm. I would suppose that this is very much your source of influence for, for this piece? Yeah, so, well, that's it. We have a lot of movers in the show as opposed to trained dancers, which I actually prefer sometimes because then technique doesn't really get in the way, and they're very hungry to just jump in and do it. So in my opinion, it's, um, yeah, it's rooted in that kind of musical theater, trying to still tell the story through movement, right? Mm -hmm. So in musical theater, the reason why people sing is because they can't talk anymore. They have too much emotion. They need to sing it. Same thing goes with dance, you know? So it's like, it's such a heightened moment that choreography needs to come in. Mm -hmm. And I really like that it's simple. It's clean. The formations are interesting. You know, it's not, it's not too challenging for anybody. So it's effective. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when it comes to... Um to dance, like to the dance aspect of it, like how do you feel about when dancers go and see your show? Like, do, do you feel that there's um, a lost in translation aspect for people who are primarily into dance and not necessarily into musical theater? Do you feel that they can still get just as much from the experience as if, uh, as, as people who are not necessarily dancers or not so much focused on movement? Well, that's it. Um, you're definitely not going to see people doing three pirouettes and fouettes and jetés and this and that, right? Because like I said, we ha we're mostly focusing on movement and, you know, character-based movement. Um, will they enjoy the choreography? Absolutely. Like, we've got some strong tappers in the show, Jonathan and Eva. Eva's playing Captain Aura. They're extremely strong tappers. They're stronger than me, so they've definitely helped me in that department. So we've got that technical aspect that dancers would really like to see most likely. But at the end of the day, we've got a lot of formation and like, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see an opinion from a, like a technically trained dancer, but I would totally enjoy it if, you know what I mean? Like musical theater is so fun. It's got the best of both worlds. It's got all three. So they should totally come and check it out. And have you had time uh, in the venue yet? Have you had time no. to establish yourself in we the venue? We have our first um, rehearsal at Théâtre La Chapelle aujourd'hui. So we're doing our tech. So it'll kind of just be filling out the space and letting the crew take over. It's not really about us today. But tomorrow we're in the space as well. So we've been really blessed. We've been rehearsing at Mainline. So we've had good spaces. And like I said, Trevor's just awesome. He gets like, he's really leading us um, in the great, he's like booking all these awesome spaces and we've had the room to choreograph and rehearse properly. We're not in someone's basement, you know what I mean? So, um, no, today's our first day in the venue, so hopefully that goes well. And how many people are part of the production? Um, so we are 12 cast members. We've, in addition to that, we have our stage manager as well, who's also working as our uh, lighting designer. Then we have Trevor. We have Skylar, our set designer, and then Rachel, costume. And she's got two assistants. So that would make 15 plus a few extra people as well that are helping out, I think. Yeah. And we've mentioned uh, quickly in passing that Montreal is not exactly known for its musical theater scene, but Canada in general, like Toronto more, there's a lot of mm -hmm. uh, Broadway productions being presented there and even being mounted there. But in general, there's not so much of a Canadian musical theater scene. And this is something that you guys are trying to 
to change, I, I mm -hmm. would guess, right? From on your side in Toronto, on Trevor's side in Montreal. Could you Absolutely. tell us a bit about like how that's evolving exactly? Absolutely. So initially, that's why I did move to Toronto, because that's what I wanted to do with my career. And I felt like I couldn't do it here necessarily. But it's so important in every city in, in Canada. These creators, these Trevor Barrettes that are you know, inspired to create Canadian musical theater. It's super, super important because there's a lot of good work out there. And we're so, we're always singing the same songs. We're always singing the Gershwin and the Sondheim. And it's like, we should be singing the, the Canadian stuff. And I'm all about that. Like every time I'm in Toronto back home, I do my best to make it out to an original Canadian production. There's various companies working on that. And from what I know of, um, you know, I'm not super familiar with the Montreal scene anymore. But Trevor is definitely up there and someone that's creating Canadian musical theater. And he's basically creating history. Do you know what I mean? And for me to be a part of the choreography and the movement and, and play this awesome character in his show, it's like an absolute honor for me. So it starts with the fringe, you know, and then who knows where it's going to go from there. So I know he has plans to produce this show in the future. Um, and I know he has plans to keep bringing more Canadian musical theater. So awesome. Just to remind everyone, we're talking just Justin Lewis uh, for the piece Captain Aurora, a superhero musical that's going to be at Théâtre La Chapelle on June 13th, 14th, 15th, 17th, 19th, 20th, 20th, and that will be by Kaleidoscope Theatre Montreal. Um, so thank you so much for coming on with us, Justin. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, we're almost there. So now we're welcoming Tessa J. Brown, who is here to talk to us about uh, the comedy Philosophish presents Mark Twain in the year 3000 versus Einstein through time. Now that's mouthful. <laughs> And that will be presented at the Petit Café campus on uh, June 12th, 13th, 14th, 16th, 18th, and 20th. And uh, it's... it's uh, comedy theater would you mind describing your show because um, again that that would be quite a mouthful yes uh well it's basically um it's comedy theater burlesque primarily i would say um gina freeman and i uh have been working together as a sketch comedy duo uh for a couple of years uh we're philosophish and uh this is the first show that we've done sort of as a complete theater piece so i would say it's it's primarily a piece of theater with aspects of of burlesque because i i am a burlesque dancer and and have a, a dance background and so we wanted to include that as sort of part of part of the show um And there are also musical aspects um, which, which come in just because um, Gina and I are both sort of very engaged in music and uh, it's something that we, we wanted to include and it's something that uh, we really enjoy and find funny. And so, yeah. Now, uh, looking at the title, there's two main characters played yes. by both you and Gina, That's right. Mark Twain, Einstein. And uh, there is a versus there in the title, but yes. is it more of a like Batman versus Superman type of versus where you end up coming together? Well, well, it's sort of. I guess I guess you'll have to see because I mean there is sort of an antagonistic relationship. I, I will say that uh, Mark Twain is not particularly fond of Einstein. He he thinks he's kind of a jerk, <laughs> <laughs> and he's right because he's the worst. <laughs> and you went with two uh, historically. Very different characters, mm -hmm. very disparate. Mm -hmm. um, 
Why those two characters exactly? Well, it's one of the things that occurred to us uh, because, well, I, I actually I am a huge fan of Mark Twain uh, and and uh, his his writing. And uh, Gina is actually a scientist. Uh, she's a she's a bioethicist, and she was quite interested in the life of Einstein. And um, I sort of initially came up um, with the idea of Mark Twain in the year 3000, sort of as, sort of in the style of, of terrible 90s science fiction. Uh, and then we were talking about it, and it actually sort of, we were thinking about the fact that Mark Twain and Einstein really do look pretty similar in terms of their hair and everything, and it sort of snowballed from there with, with Gina coming up with the idea of, of Einstein through time, and then the, the combination of those two characters uh, who sort of are, are very different very different people and probably even more different and more sort of contrasting and conflicting uh, the way we've written them. Sort of, uh, sort of an odd couple situation. There. Was this kind of your fantasy of doing that uh, you can invite anyone to dinner in, uh, like from characters from history and what would they say to each other? Yeah, I guess there, there, there is sort of some aspect of that just because, you know, I mean, I am such like a fan of Mark Twain. I'm just like, I love you, Mark Twain. I love everything about you. You are the best. And um, so in particular with that character, it's sort of um, a very goofy, very uh, weird sort of love letter to that historical figure <laughs> in a way. <laughs> And how did you come up with, um, what kind of understanding did you have about the characters that made you decide that they would have this antagonistic relationship? Why exactly would you assume that, and I, I'm not saying that so much as negative, but mm -hmm. more like, what in those characters do you feel would bring them to become antagonistic towards well, each other? I guess the, the, this has to do with the, the, the dynamic that Gina and I have when we're writing. So even when we're doing sketch together, we tend to create characters who have sort of antagonistic relationships uh, with each other. Which makes um, for good comedy. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It, just, it makes for good comedy. And it's, it's the sort of thing that we find funny. And it was very much as we were sitting together and working and building these characters... Um, their personalities arose very naturally. And so very quickly, we knew what Twain would say in this situation. And he sort of had more a straight man kind of role. And we knew what Einstein would say in this situation. And he was more sort of wild and eccentric and a bit of a Lothario. And, 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 and that's sort of just the characters as they arose and, and um, our comedic instincts coming into play there. And that scenario that you're putting them in, um, mm -hmm. what exactly is that context that they end up meeting in? Well, basically, um, they both have shows. Um, they both have shows in the fringe. And uh, there, there has been some sort of terrible error where they've both ended up in the same fringe time, the same fringe place, and, and this is going to cause a rift in the fringe time continuum. And if they can't fix it, the entire fringe will be destroyed. <laughs> How many science jokes are you going to make? Quite a few. There will be quite a few science jokes. We do like science jokes. Science jokes where can be tricky. Though, <laughs> no, but because if you like, um, it's the kind of humor that would be mm -hmm. very could e really easily go over someone's head. It's one of the things mm -hmm. about Futurama. Mm -hmm. If you look at Futurama as a show, mm -hmm. where there's going to be a need for different levels of humor because mm -hmm. a lot of the humor is going to be so specific mm -hmm. to 
to a subcategory of people that yeah. it might go over a lot of people's yeah. head? I would say um, that there are a lot of levels to it. And so there will be probably some jokes that are aimed at science people. Nerds. Yes, like us. But for the most part, it's just going to be sort of goofy, weird. There's a lot of slapstick. It's, it's very, uh, very much... Um, it, it, it has a lot of elements of pantomime. And so I think... Uh, the majority of the humor is very accessible because Gina and I were both just, we're very goofy and very silly. And that's really reflected in the show. It's just a very goofy, very silly, very fun show that I think pretty much anybody could enjoy. Whether you have any understanding of science or not is completely irrelevant because there may be like a throwaway line that references something scientific, but you don't have to understand it to get the joke. And there's also burlesque. Yes. Um, I'm going to assume boobs. that that's not Mark Twain that's getting undressed. I, I'm not going to tell you who gets undressed because it do will we, be... Do we yeah. learn a, a new revelation about Mark Twain's real gender identity or... <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Um, I would say that um, there will be some surprise cameos from characters you might not expect to see. Um, and, 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 um, Is it uh, Mary Curry? Is Mary Curry getting undressed? Would... I what do you think? Maybe. Ooh. Ooh. That would be an She's interesting twist. a very twist. sexy lady scientist. <laughs> I would like to see Simone de Beauvoir. That would ah. be a very empowered yes. burlesque act, I yes, feel. That, that might be fun, actually. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to think about that. I could do some Simone de Beauvoir You can copyright the idea. It's yes. fine. <laughs> um, other than the burlesque aspect, because you've mentioned that uh, you have a lot of dance background. Yeah. And of course, we're a dance podcast, so mm -hmm. we tend to evolve around mm -hmm. that. How else than the burlesque aspect did it come back into the creation of this show? Uh, my dance background? Well, basically, uh, because I've been uh, responsible for the, the, the choreography. So basically, um, any uh, of the dance elements that you see in the show have been choreographed by me. And I've just been sort of trying to create um, dances that are both sort of entertaining, high energy, uh, and, and that the audience will be able to just sort of really enjoy and find as ridiculous as they find the rest of the show. Um, most of my dance background, I actually, I, I, I did quite a few different types of dance, but most recently I've done 10 years of belly dance and um, quite a bit of, of Bollywood and Bangra as well. And so the, there, there tend to be a lot of elements of that in my dance style. I'd love to see uh, Mark Twain doing Bangra. Oh, that, that oh yeah. would, that's, that's what's totally going to be in the show. <laughs> yes, yes, totally. <laughs> With the hand um, gestures. Yeah. Of course, of course, 100%. <laughs> so just to remind everyone, we were talking to Tessa J. Brown, uh, one half of Philosophish, and they, they will be presenting Mark Twain in the year 3000 versus Einstein through time. Again, that's a mouthful. That will be at the Petit Café campus on June 12th, 13th, 14th, 16th, 18th, and 20th. And uh, thank you so much, Tessa J. Brown, for coming to talk to us about your show. Thank you very much for having me. And finally, to finish off this episode of uh, Dirty Feet, we are welcoming Laura V. and Sehar Manji, uh, who are coming to talk to us about their, their 
new show called Total Liquidation. It's a, it's a Wallfinger Productions uh, piece, and it will be presented at the Mainline Theater, so right here where we're recording from today. And your performances will be on June 13th, 14th, 15th, 17th, 19th, and 21st. And uh, first of all, well, hello. How are you doing today? We're good. Thanks for having us. Thanks uh, for coming. Your your show is um, unlike a lot of the other shows we have right now. It's it's very much about the comedy aspect, but there is a, a physical element to it that uh, that that is very different for for a lot of people. Because when we think about movement, we don't necessarily think about mime so much, even though it, it is such a quintessential thing. But uh, you were telling me before. Well, first of all, could you tell me about how that show came to be? Because you both met each other through Montreal Improv, and that's how you saw each other perform. That's how you saw each other's work. Could you tell me about about um, that that experience, basically? Uh, well, we met in a, an improv class actually in 2012, and then in the same year, I took a workshop, a solo writing workshop with Kirsten Rasmussen, who's this crazy clown, physical sketch comedian, amazing person, and. Um, I actually didn't, I wasn't very wordy, so I actually was like, I don't want to write a lot of stuff. And just being inspired by the improvisers we've seen, like Brent Skagford and Mark Rowland in Easy Action, it was just about um, using movement to establish a world and create stuff. So my movements were not very clean at the time because I didn't, hadn't really done much of it. And it seemed to work. Just the simple, honest, you know, movements of a table, a chair, walking through a door, establishing a wall. People really seem to enjoy it. And one cool thing was it stuck in Lara's mind, I guess, because a few months ago she came up to me and she's like, hey, so let's collaborate. I remember what you did a few years ago. I want to bring her back. And that was, when it stays, it's, it's really, it means like it meant something to someone, which was great. Yeah, so uh, Sehar and I took this improv class together and uh, I had done a, a stand-up comedy piece earlier sort of about liquefying matter and so um, this total liquidation takes place in this storage space and so I was thinking, w wouldn't it be interesting to bring her character who was in the solo, solo piece, it was um, that she was a museum curator but also someone that had a lot of clutter in her home life and so bring these two people together, someone who... Uh, whose job it is to watch over objects and have essentially a museum where people want to hide and store their things with someone who has this experience of uh, curating in a museum where people pay to go and see what is stored. And then uh, bringing these characters together and sort of uh, seeing how they influence each other as matter is sort of broken down. And, uh, and so we show that by, um, instead of having physical clutter in the space, all the all the objects and the reality is mimed. We're not trained mimes, but for us it's about creating a reality, agreeing upon it, and participating in it, experiencing it in synchronicity, and that is like how we, uh, how we show the emotion and the, the connection that we have through that. And sort of defining the world with movement. So it is a show-don't-tell kind of thing, which is pretty powerful. So you're really creating the scenography through through your own bodies, basically. You're representing it so that the audience can get a grasp of the physical presence through the absence of things in the space. Yep. Um, that must require like, a huge amount of creati creativity and 
communion between the two of you so that this universe holds coherently and that it makes sense. Th this must be so well, it, difficult. It's very satisfying. You repeat your movements and when you establish something and then reestablish it, it's so satisfying for the audience to be like, oh my God, it was there. Oh my God, it's there again. I see it. I actually know where they are right now. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of taking on the same position again or having the same emotion to place yourself back in that world. We have one stage. We explore a bunch of environments and it's really cool how if we see it, they see it. If we say it's there, it's actually there. And that comes so much from our improv training of yes and group minds sort of work. We do a lot of stuff where it's like, okay, walk in, like the first person will walk into a room, turn on a lamp, and then leave the room. The second person walks in, turns on the lamp, goes to a sink, and washes their hands. You know what I mean? So it's this thing of listening to what everyone creates and, and everyone agreeing with each other's world. So we got a lot of that training with improv and how to build that. And, and it's all just like, it's... If someone creates a cup, it becomes even more real when someone else uses it or when there's a mistake or when there's... And there's all these ways to sort of make it more real through repetition. It validates the presence exactly. through this repetition yes. that you're talking yeah. about. And uh, like when it comes to, to that manipulation, because you mentioned, Sayar, that uh, you weren't a very precise mover, but I guess that through this this work, through this repetition, this has probably changed. Like because it, it probably requires a huge amount of of physical focus and concentration to do something like that. Yeah, well, just even the past three years since that show, just learning to isolate parts of your hand and actually visualizing a surface mm -hmm. and the contact, contact off, contact on. You just sort of you learn not to do too much, but to really hone and really work on that one piece of contact that you have in your hand and that's enough one tiny piece as long as it's done really well it just it when you commit fully it really it really helps and making it authentic making I would it, guess making it real mm -hmm. actually feeling like you're seeing it actually taking your time with whatever object you're holding with whatever um, piece of furniture you're you know encountering the door just really if you see it, the audience sees it the way you do. So if you just if you don't commit, um, you'll walk through your wall, and well, that kills it. And do you actually manage to sit on any of your furniture <laughs> in the piece? I'm not super physically fit and have like really bad core strength, so I wouldn't try. If that would be really cool if I could do that, but I would tip over. And um, when it comes to the the piece, there's another element of movement that you mentioned about, which is. Actually, something we're going to listen to after, uh, or listen to an excerpt after the interview, which is a piece of music that that brought you two together in, in a way. Could you tell me a bit about that? Well, um, last summer, uh, we there was an improv party, and we were cleaning up at like 2 a.m. So I put some music on, and it's just it's a song that I really like, and Lars started feeling it and bopping her head, and she's like, what is this? And we seem to have a lot of those things. Ha like, her eyes light up the way my eyes light up, and I think that's also why we collaborate was like oh my god you're just excited about this is me and we're just on the dance floor we just were like I get it and you get it and let's make magic and it just it's weird because a lot of the process has felt cosmic <laughs> just things we hear she'll mention a song in passing and then two weeks later she's like hey why don't you use that in the in the piece and it actually works and this song it's it's nothing huge or special or but we both feel it and it's got a it's got a really good beat not, neither of us are professional dancers, but we, we enjoy music. And she was just, it just worked. And we're like, okay, this is, this is our song. 
just take it in a in a different direction. When it comes to to comedy, um, in in the last few years, there's been a a lot of change when it comes to comedy, especially women mm-hmm. in comedy, and you know there, there's been a lot of uh, examples recently, just in in Hollywood, uh, comedy movies just trampling more male-identified movies that you would assume would have, or the producers would assume would have bigger success, like with Pitch Perfect recently, with um, Spy, with Melissa McCarthy recently. How do you feel as as comedians, as sketch comedy types, uh, improvers, who are female-identified, I'm going to assume, um, seeing that, seeing that change where that that you know male dominated field of comedy is not so much and people are questioning that and people are are rising against that do you feel that it's it's a good time to be in comedy seeing that that you know women can actually be considered funny and that you know those male comedians saying women can be funny they're being ridiculed right now how do you feel about that I think, you know, it's uh, what we're seeing over time is like women have always been funny, but the, the access to performing and stuff has been uh, has been difficult at different times for various like circumstances of like raising children or whatever that it was not always like because the life of, say, a stand up comedian is like you're on the road a lot and stuff like that. And so um, I think what's exciting is just seeing that, um, you know, women are writing roles for women and creating uh, spaces and opportunities and uh, for women to represent themselves. And, um, and yeah, I think women have always been funny and it's just about um, more opportunities to build confidence and get experience performing. I think just to add to that, comedy in general, it's, it's about truth. And even our piece, it's it's very simple. The What's at the heart of it is the universal feeling ex- experienced by all humans, male, female, anyone. And I think it's it's that thing where you actually have, it's the time where the platform can be sort of grabbed by women. But at the heart of it, comedy is just very simply about honesty and sincerity. And yeah, we have a voice too. So I think that's, um, it's relatable even to a male audience. So uh, before we leave, I uh, just want to remind the audience that we were talking to Larvi and Sahar Manji, uh, who are part of the Wallfinger Productions, and they were coming to talk to us about Total Liquidation, and it will be at the Mainline Theater on, so on June 13th, 14th, 15th, 17th, 19th, and 21st. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on, and can you just introduce the music that we'll be listening to as we leave? Okay, well, this song is very close to us. It's uh, <laughs> called My Love by Route 94.
The Dirty Feet podcast is produced and hosted by Produit et animé par Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert We have Mainline Theatre, Montreal Improv Theatre and Paula Flalo to thank. Merci pour le soutien. Vous pouvez visiter notre site web, écouter les derniers épisodes, lire notre blog, nous aimer sur Facebook et nous suivre sur Twitter. You can visit our website, listen to past episodes, read our blog, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Show us some love and help us spread the word. Montrez-nous un peu d'amour et aidez-nous à passer le mot.